This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Josh Henning filling in for Mike Gill on a hump day Wednesday here on 97.3 ESPN FM and the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of CIL. Four hours coming up. We got a lot to get to in the next four hours. And considering the Phillies are losing right now, 5 nothing in the bottom of the third. I'm here to keep you guys entertained for the next four hours. Talking about something that is not the Phillies losing potentially again. We will talk some about baseball a little bit later in the show. Mike the Gay from the Press of Atlantic City still to come in about 40 minutes from now. We will be joined by DraftKings MLB analyst Steve Buchanan at the top of the next hour. We'll get into the NBA with Keith Smith, Spot Track NBA insider. The Celtics won last night. We're going to get into a little bit of the significance of that win. Plus the latest on the Eagles football and four with Jeff Mosher, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. And if you are a frequent listener to Game Night, it is a Weinberg Wednesday. Dave Weinberg will join me coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. And as always, you can join the conversation. 609-403-0973. That's the text board. You also can... DM the show. That's a 973 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank. See, by the way, uh, shout out to the guy who texted even before the show got started. It said the boys are so, the Phillies are so tough to watch. I switched over to you guys. Well, welcome aboard to the show. Hope you're having a, a better day than the Phillies are. Who, Like I said, they're losing five. Nothing. I'll keep you updated on the game as it progresses for the better or the worse. But I want to start with this. I've been on game night talking about my big takeaways from these NBA playoff games and what it means for the 76ers. And last night was another example of why the Boston Celtics are a Jekyll and Hyde team. And why you, if you're a Sixers fan, need to hope this organization does the right thing this offseason. Here's what I mean by that. You got the Celtics last night, and you're and I'm sitting there watching them, and the Miami Heat had this strong lead at halftime. And I'm thinking, oh, the Miami Heat are gonna run away with this game in the second half. There's no way they're coming back. And then Boston starts hitting those threes. The Celtics now, if you combine the regular season and postseason, they are 37 and 2. When they shoot 40% or better from three. They are 29 and 31. When they shoot under 40% from three. They are the literal statistical embodiment. Of make or miss win or lose. And it's a great example of why if you. Are a Sixers fan should take some positive in the fact that the Eastern Conference is not a foregone conclusion that any particular team is the dominant force. 
Look, Milwaukee still hasn't found their head coach. They're going through a very long process like the, the Sixers are. And even though they may arguably have not the best, one of the best players in the NBA today in Giannis, you saw how ill-equipped the rest of that team was to handle when Giannis went down with injury. The Miami Heat lost two of their players in that series, that first-round series, and Milwaukee still couldn't beat them because between Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat style of grinding you into oblivion took a toll on the Bucks, just like it took a toll on the Knicks. And it's what put them up 3-0 in this series. You can't tell me Boston is a favorite ever again unless they reshuffle this roster or they change the head coach or something because it's blatantly obvious that this team, their success and failure has nothing to do with their head coach. It has everything to do with them. These players literally change their mind from quarter to quarter if they feel like showing up. Frankly, it's kind of pathetic. You know, we were told for years, you know, I had to hear Sixer fans bemoan for years about how Boston's a better run organization. They constantly get these better players. They have real veteran leadership. And yet I'm seeing a Boston team for three rounds now that picks and chooses when they feel like playing basketball. There's no leadership with the Celtics. It's just, hey, we made shots or didn't make shots. Whoop-de-doo. So the two top teams record-wise in the Eastern Conference have an incredible amount of flaws. And the Miami Heat, I mean, who knows what they're actually going to be able to do. Because... Frankly, they have a lot of salary cap problems after this season. Now, I was listening to Bobby Marks talk about this on the Low Post podcast about how Miami, they have to maximize their success this year because there's no guarantee beyond this year in terms of their salary cap. You know, we all have applauded and lauded Jimmy Butler and how well he has played and He has played into a new tier. But he has two more years on his contract, and one of them is a player option. So in theory, he could bail on Miami after next season. And when you look at the Miami Heat overall, their cap situation is, well, how about we call it complicated. Because with guys like Kyle Lowry on the books, it's not going to make it easy for them to make moves. And for those who don't know, Kyle Lowry's deal, even though it's up after next season, the cap hit next season is almost $30 million. As I was talking with Brian Toporek, who writes for Forbes Sports and Liberty Ballers yesterday, he was explaining that, you know, for NBA teams, this situation with the with the dual tiers, what they're calling aprons, for teams in their salary cap situations, it's putting teams in a tough predicament to make really tough decisions. It's going to be very hard to build any super team ever again under this new agreement. So if you're the Miami Heat, 
if you don't get it done this year and you don't beat Boston and finish out this series, I mean, if we're being frank, there kind of is no tomorrow. There's no guarantee Miami is going to be this good next year. And look around the rest of the East. The Nets are a nice team. Not a great team. Unless they make some unforeseen additions this offseason. The Bulls, their roster is a mess. Because that whole team was built around an idea. And that idea never came to fruition. You got to wonder how long they'll stick with their head coach, Billy Donovan, in the future. The Cavs feel like they're a year away from being a year away, especially with the way they looked against the Knicks. Oh, and by the way, the Knicks, unless the Knicks are adding somebody this offseason that we don't foresee, the Sixers are already better than the Knicks right now. So if you're doing a measurement of the Eastern Conference, what you're seeing is that the 76ers are not in a negative position success-wise. You look around the Eastern Conference, you realize that you have an opportunity next year. And as I'm watching Joe Mazzola basically inhabit the sidelines instead of control his team and be a leader, as I'm watching the Miami Heat not make shots and basically just wilt at the end of that game last night, as I'm watching all the people who are talking about who's going to be a head coach where, it gets me back to this question. Who should be the Sixers head coach and why? I'm not saying the head coach is the end-all, be-all for a team's success, okay? But he has a significant impact because if you see the way Spolstra coaches, you know that he has a major impact on their success. And when the report came out today that Nick Nurse is one of the finalists for the Phoenix head coaching job after he was already reported to be a finalist for the Milwaukee head coaching job, and that was after Nurse had interviewed for the Sixers for their job, I started to wonder. What are the Sixers' plans? Seriously. What's the Sixers' game plan here? Because I'll tell you what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that for a team that is going through a very methodical process in terms of a head coaching search, there's a part of me that wonders, do you end up missing the boat by taking so long? So I ask you guys, how do you feel about Nick Nurse right now, knowing that he is a finalist for two head coach openings? And you still have more people to interview. Because I'm not saying Nick Nurse solves the problem. But what I am saying is the Sixers are not in a position to mess this up. You got a window with Embiid. And you got to put the right talent around him. 
And you got to make sure that he is in a position to get out of the second round. You look at a guy like Nikola Jokic. When he didn't have Jamal Murray and Aaron Gordon out there, he never got to the NBA Finals. Jamal Murray is like, it's almost like he was made in a lab for Nikola Jokic. You watch the way those two play in Denver, and they look like they were made to play together. They look like this perfect tandem. It's like, you know, when you be, I, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing watching how those guys play together. And then look at a guy like Embiid. And you know what I saw this last postseason? James Harden pounding the basketball into the ground. Dribble, 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 dribble. You know, it's like that. If you guys ever see that, that State Farm commercial with uh, Boban Marjanovic, where he, all he says is the whole time, where his play by play, he says he bounced the ball, he bounced it again, he bounced the ball, he bounced it again. That's what I watch when I see Harden. The Sixers won three games against the Celtics. And James Harden exploded offensively in two of them, played efficiently in a third, and the rest of this series played, frankly, like trash, especially in the last two games. So if you're going to, for whatever reason, bring Harden back, which I am vehemently against, Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill here on the Sports Bash on a hump day Wednesday here on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. If you, for whatever reason, are bringing James Harden back, you better make sure that the head coach of this team is not a Joe Missoula type. Because you know who Joe Missoula is? Joe Mazzola is the substitute teacher who suddenly became the full-time teacher of a class and nobody respects him. You cannot tell me watching any of these games that Mazzola is having a major impact on this team. Spolstra, huge impact on his team. Because the other thing I saw... When the Sixers season ended, Doc Rivers is screaming and trying to pump his guys up. And it's in one ear, out the other. And for those of you Cobra Kai fans know, Terry Silver had the line in season four when he said, there's a difference between hearing and listening. The Sixers players were hearing Doc Rivers. Like the Celtics players are hearing Joe Missoula, but they're not listening. And the reason why the Celtics are in the conference finals and the Sixers are not is because the guy that you brought in when you got rid of Ben Simmons pounded the ball into the hardwood and didn't run an offense. It was hard in time. And hard in time was great in Houston. When he had the roster built around him, customized for him, cultivated for him when he was in his prime, but he is no longer in his prime. And Harden was not listening to people. And when I look at this coaching list, I have two separate concerns. One, if you bring back Harden, who's going to deal with that guy? And on the flip side, if you don't bring back Harden, who are you replacing him with and how is that going to work? 
So I will put the poll question up at 973 ESPN on Twitter and ask you guys this question. How do you feel about Nick Nurse? He is now a finalist for the Bucks and Suns job. What should the Sixers do? And you can also chime in at 609-403-0973. That's the text board. Of course, don't forget you can DM the show through the 973 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. And before I get to your guys' text, just one more point on the Sixers and the NBA playoffs. The other thing I'm watching last night is I think this is the part of the conversation that kind of messes with me more than anything else. You know, I was talking with Rob Motti on Monday's game night, and we were talking about how the Miami Heat are in the conference finals. They're on the verge going to the NBA finals. The, the Florida Panthers, they're on the verge going to the Stanley Cup finals. The Tampa Bay Bucks won a Super Bowl just a couple of years ago. And Rob was saying that Florida sports fans love their teams, but they're not this diehard day-to-day, live-or-die-with-your-team like a city like Philadelphia is. And I just got to think, If you are the Sixers' ownership, somebody in that building has to either verbalize to you or you have to verbalize to Maury and Brand and the whole brain trust up there. You have to verbalize that you can't run it back with this team as is and expect the fans to just show up. Philadelphia sports fans don't like having their intelligence insulted. That's why so many people stopped going to Flyers fans in the last couple Flyers games in the last couple of years. Because so many Flyers fans said, You're not giving me a winning team. It doesn't even look like you're trying sometimes. And you wave the white flag when you had the opportunity to get the best free agent for this Flyers team in many years. I mean, Johnny Goudreau to the Flyers would have been similar to Bryce Harper coming to the Phillies. Or, you know, when when T.O. came to the Eagles, like, he would have been that tier of impact, not just in terms of on the ice, not just in terms of his play and his impact on the team, but his impact on the fans. You know, when the Phillies signed Bryce Harper, that was a clear signal to Philly fans that this organization was turning a corner, just like over a decade plus ago when they brought in Jim Tomey and they opened the new ballpark. It was a clear sign to the fans that they were serious about changing the direction of this franchise. And what did Flyer fans do? They stopped going because the organization insulted their intelligence. You know why Sixer fans weren't going to games over a decade ago? Because a team with Evan Turner, Andre Iguodala, everyone knew they weren't winning anything. So the fans said, don't insult me. I'm not spending these exorbitant prices on this. And you saw what's going with the Phillies. You know the Phillies had the largest turnaround in attendance from last year to this year in all of baseball. The Forbes Sports Report said that baseball attendance... 
is up across the board. Let me pull it up real quick. But that the Phillies had the highest, largest turnaround in attendance of any team in baseball. So you know what that says to me? If you have almost a 10,000 plus flip in attendance average from last year to this year at this time. And if you are a team that while all of baseball is up about 5% in attendance, the Phillies are up way more than that. The fans are telling you, hey, if you give us a good team, if you go out there and compete, we'll show up at the ballpark. We'll support you. And I'm looking at the Sixers and I'm saying, is this fan base going to support this team if you insult their intelligence and just run it back for one more year? Because I don't know if they're going to do it. I really don't. Text board is open, 609-403-0973. You also can DM the show through the 973 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. Again, the poll question is right now, and we already got a, a cluster of votes coming in at 973 ESPN. How do you feel the Sixers head coaching situation? Nick Nurse is now a finalist for two different jobs. What should the Sixers do? Well, the second leading vote right now on the poll is forget about him. <laughs> who should the Sixers head coach be? Like, I, I want to know from you guys. You guys tell me who should be the Sixers head coach. Because here's the deal. Before Mike Gill left this week, he handed me some extra tickets to give away. So we got tickets to give away today, tomorrow, and Friday. If you didn't get a chance to win the Shane Gillis tickets last happy hour Friday with Mike Gill, well, we gave away a pair of tickets last Friday. Mike Gill turned to me before he left and said, Josh, guess what? We got more tickets for Shane Gillis at Ocean Casino Resort. So if you want to go see the comedian Shane Gillis at Ocean Casino Resort in Atlantic City, I got tickets today, tomorrow, and Friday. So here's what you got to do today. If you want to win tickets, a pair of tickets to go see him, text in to the show at 609-403-0973 and tell me, who do you want? For the Sixers head coach. Because the, the candidates are all, the names are out there. The Sixers are interviewed already. Nick Nurse and Frank Vogel. Sam Cassell is under consideration. So is Mike D'Antoni. Monty Williams. Mike Budenholzer. They're all on the list. Who do you want and why? And we'll pick out a winner before the evening is over. To go see Shane Gillis at Ocean Casino Resort. Josh Henning filling in for Mike Gill here on a Wednesday afternoon on 97.3 ESPN FM and 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. Now, Smash on 97.3 ESPN. Josh Henning filling in for Mike Gill here on the Sports Bash. Pump day Wednesday, 97.3 ESPN. I'll get to your messages in just a moment. Don't forget if you text in and join the conversation. You have a chance to win tickets to go see the comedian Shane Gillis at Ocean Casino Resort Lane. Yeah, for Mike Gill, 
steps out of the studio for a couple days. He said, hey, Josh, I got a couple extra tickets. See Shane Gillis, Atlantic City. He gave away one pair last Friday. Well, text in 609-403-0973. Your thoughts. Who should the Sixers' next head coach be? Over on our Twitter poll, at 973ESPN. The options right now are... It's a tie, actually. 40% and 40% both say either hire Nick Nurse as soon as possible or interview all the candidates. It's now down to 20% say forget about him. So we'll keep you updated on that poll. The reason why we're asking that question is because Woj reported this morning that Nick Nurse is a finalist for the Phoenix head coaching job. Just after the day before, reports were that Nurse was a finalist for the Milwaukee job and as Jake Fisher over at Yahoo Sports has reported the Bucks look like they want to be the first team to hire a head coach. They are in hot pursuit because their general manager wants to start rebuilding this operation around Giannis. And so the candidates for those who don't know for, for the uh, the Bucks job, the finalists are their assistant from last year, Charles Lee, uh, Nick Nurse, as well as former Toronto assistant Adrian Griffin and Warriors assistant Kenny Atkinson. So if Milwaukee is trying to run to the podium and get the pick in, Where's the lead the Sixers in their process? Because they got a lot of names. They got a lot of names out there who they're supposed to interview. And as of right now, we only know they have interviewed at least two of those six names already. That being Frank Vogel and Nick Nurse. Again, poll question at 973 ESPN on Twitter, or you can text in at 609 403 0973. We opened the show talking about the Celtics and the Heat. Anonymous chimes in. says, Josh, if there was ever a team to come back from a 3-0 deficit, it would be the Celtics team. They are Jekyll and Hyde, but they also play their best when their back is against the wall. This Celtics group came back in multiple series. They were down. The Heat are really not that good this year. The Celtics aren't that bad. That's from Anonymous. Two things, Anonymous. One, Saying that the Heat are not that good and the Celtics are not that bad is completely overlooking the fact that the Heat were up 3-0 in this series before last night. Yes, there is a gap in talent between the Heat and the Celtics. But judging a team on paper is, frankly, one of the biggest mistakes all of us sports fans make. So many of us go into our predictions and our prognostications and our picks and all these. And we're judging on the stats and the players and the rosters and all these different things. But yet we forget the one reason why the Heat are here right now. They play like a team. They play like a cohesive unit. They don't play like individuals. And frankly, if Gabe Vincent doesn't have that crazy ankle twist where his ankle almost snapped in half on the sideline where the way it bent was creepy. But watch if you see the replay. 
who knows how that heat game ends because you could tell the Celtics started attacking him when he was on defense because they knew he didn't have the burst off that foot. The Miami Heat play like a unit, like a team. The Celtics more often than not play like individuals looking for their shot. So being Jekyll and Hyde is a reason why you're not good. To me, it's the ultimate reason why you're not good. Winning in sports typically comes down to consistency and talent and execution. The Celtics, I told you guys earlier, 37-2 and when they hit over 40% of their threes. It's a crazy number. It's a literal example that this team makes shots, they can win games. They don't make shots, they're losing. So I think this attitude, the Celtics are just not as bad as I'm drawing it out to be. I think, I think it's a miscalculation by you, Mr. Anonymous. Uh, Rich Atlantic City says, I really don't want Harden back either, especially on a four-year, $200 million deal. But on the other hand, what are the other options? Well, the other options are this. Rich, and I appreciate you chiming me in, putting your name on it, Rich Lang City. Good job by you. Look, I think that it comes down to two things for the for the Sixers. One, do we believe Daryl Morey is as creative as we think he is? Because we can talk about guys, for example, Dame Lillard, Kyrie Irving, and others. But at the end of the day, how many people saw Daryl Morey unloading Al Horford's contract, getting Seth Curry for Josh Richardson? How many people saw them unloading Ben Simmons at probably his worst value and getting James Harden? So to me, I look at and I say, you know, the option is Morey. Morey, if you go listen to his press conference again, he believes there are options. He believes they have assets. And, you know, I know that we who watch the Sixers every game look at Tobias Harris and say, what kind of value does that guy have? But he has value because he's in the following year of his contract. Someone's going to want to take on that contract. And whether it's trading him to get a guy like Pascal Siakam or trading him as part of a larger deal to get somebody else, you know, we, we've heard Zach Levine's name rumored for what feels like four years now, potentially being traded. Who knows exactly what Utah is doing? I mean, Utah took on the Westbrook contract in a, in a, you know, salary dump deal. Does Oklahoma City look to trade some of their draft picks and maybe absorb some contracts? So those are options. Those are legitimate options. I, I don't know if there is a specific person to replace Harden, but I think that there are people out there, whether it is a Lillard or an Irving or a Siakam or somebody else you could acquire. I feel like, you know, by the time we get in the next year, Daryl Moore will have made a move or two. Just don't know what those moves are as of right now. Let's get one more message in before we hit the break. Tom from the Villas chimes in and says, I honestly don't know who I want to be the coach for the Sixers. No matter who it is, the front office will mess this up. They can't afford 
sorry, they can't surround Embiid with decent supporting cast. They can't get consistent skilled players and they can't put a good bench together. It's been a revolving door of players ever since the process started. You can't have a consistent team that way. It's from Tom and the Villas. Tom, the part about the consistent team and the revolving door, I think it's the biggest thing of what you just said there because this team has had so many guys playing with Embiid, the revolving door of this roster. It's a huge part of why they've had troubles having success because they never have long-term chemistry. And as soon as they got some multiple years with a group of guys, Sarich and Covington and Embiid, they traded those guys for Jimmy Butler. And you could argue that if Butler came back the next year and you would have ran it back with that team of Embiid and Harris and Butler and Redick, you could argue they might have been better the next year. And at the time, there were a lot of speculation that the Spurs wanted Ben Simmons. Why didn't you give him Ben Simmons? Could have gotten rid of Ben Simmons, traded him at his highest value, soaked the Spurs for everything they got, and you could have made another playoff run. But instead, here we are. Mike McGarry for the Press of Lang State will join us next in his usual Wednesday spot here. Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Now, Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey sports leader. Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill, and I'm uh, thoroughly entertained by some of the answers over messaging. And again, don't forget, you join the conversation, tell me who you are, leave your name. You have a chance to win tickets to go see comedian Shane Gillis at Ocean Casino Resort in Atlantic City. Who should the Sixers' next head coach be? You also get voted in the poll at 973 ESPN on Twitter. Joining us right now, Mike McGarry for the Press of Atlantic City. Joining us the show every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. As uh, he is also looking for a healthy distraction from the Phillies who are still losing 5 nothing. In the top of the sixth inning. Mike, how are you doing aside from the Phillies losing today? I'm doing better than the Phillies, Josh. How are <laughs> you today? I'm doing good. So let me let me start with this, Mike, because the the news came out this morning that Nick Nurse is now a finalist also for the Phoenix job. So he's a finalist for the Bucks and Suns jobs. He interviewed the Sixers on Monday. So how do you feel right now about Nick Nurse and his candidacy for the Sixers like, is one of the things where I say, you know what, finish your process, don't worry about him. You know what? What are you thinking about Nick Nurse as a Sixers head coach candidate? Well, I, I'm not certainly rushing through anything just to hire Nick Nurse. I'm a little bewildered by the fascination with Nick Nurse. I know he had a winning record and did a nice job in Toronto, but the one title they won. He had Kawhi Leonard, and they beat a Golden State Warrior team without Durant, without Clay Thompson, a team that had been ravaged by injuries. So I don't know why all of a sudden Nick Nurse is the number one guy out there. I, I would be comfortable with anybody on the list that we've seen floated and, um, you know, so far of guys in contention for that Sixers job. You would even be comfortable with uh, Mike D'Antoni? Yeah, at this point, you know, again, I come back to the thing, Josh. I think it's more of a roster issue. I'm more interested in what moves they make in the offseason. You know, I, I'm on record as saying they need a third star. You know, they should bring back Harden, much to uh, uh, much of the fan base's chagrin, but bring back Harden, 
bring back Embiid, get a third star in here, even if that means trading Maxi uh, as part of a deal, get a third star in here and, and go forward like that. So I'm not really wrapped up in who the coach is going to be, only because I don't think the coach is going to make that big a difference. To me, this is a roster issue, not a coaching issue. So if it's a roster issue, then is Harden really the guy to bring back? Because a lot of people, they don't want him back, Mike. You you see the fans on social media. You hear uh, out and about. People look at Harden, and they, they say he's the reason why you lost two of the games in that Celtics series. He's the reason why you won two of the games in the Celtics series also. You know, he led the league in assists this year. I'll be the first one to say that he his track record in game six, seven, deciding games of, of playoff series is abysmal. But where do people think this team is going without James Harden? And you are going to let, and I hate to talk about players like this or refer to them like this, uh, but he is an asset. And you are going to let that asset walk away for nothing? I mean, what about all you traded to get him? I, I mean, it just makes no sense to let him walk away for nothing from a business standpoint. And I think if they let him walk away, they're taking a big step backwards next year. And, uh, you know, this is not the time to be taking a big step backwards when you've got a 30-year-old Joel Embiid. So, you know, I, I think they have no choice but to bring him back. I want to present to you my conspiracy theory. And you can tell me I'm crazy or not, Mike. But I think that the reason why we're standing here right now with this Harden stuff and all these rumors about him going to Houston is because – I think him and Maury have a handshake agreement, and that's why he had a player option. That Maury said, look, give me one year. If you're not happy with what we're doing here, I'll let you go. And I wouldn't be surprised if they have some sort of agreement to do a sign-in trade so Harden can get the maximum number of dollars so he can go wherever he wants. What do you think? Well, that would be malpractice on Maury's part. And, and my answer to that would be, what is Houston's? motivation to do a sign and trade when they just have the cap room to flat out sign James Harden anyway. So why would they give up, uh, especially if Harden wants to go there, why would they give up assets or players to get Harden to go there when they can just use the cap room? So uh, I, I think that would be business malpractice on, on, on Maury's part. And also uh, malpractice from the point of that Maury was only giving this like a one-year ex- experiment to sort of um, – you know, to see if it worked or not, you know, I, I think you have to get more out of that uh, James Harden situation than that. What do you think about how they can change this roster? Like, do you have any ideas that you personally like or anything that's on the top of your mind that you look at and say, hey, this makes sense to me? I think they got to go get a third star, a guy who can create offense in the fourth quarter of a playoff game. And, and then they have to convince Embiid to become – you know, more of a defensive player and a rebounder in the last five minutes of game six or game seven. It looks like they won't have to convince James Harden of anything in in game six or seven because he couldn't wait to pass the ball to DeAndre Melton or or P.J. Tucker in game six and seven. So you just need to find somebody for him to pass the ball who's better than that. So to me, I go out and get a Dame Lillard, a Zach Levine, a Bradley Beal. I am looking for that third star. And the two greatest assets I have on the roster right now are Tobias Harris's expiring contract and Tyrese Maxey. And I am comfortable with combining those two and whatever else you have to do to get a third star in here. So wait, so you're not willing to be patient with Maxey. You're willing to move on from him. Look, I, I, 
I like Tyrus Maxey. I think the Philadelphia sporting public overrates just how good Tyrese Maxey is. I mean, I think he's a, a good player, but he hasn't gotten you over the hump yet. He's been in the league three years. I think you need a star, star player. I don't think Maxey's at it. And so I would be, you have to give up something to get something, right? So I would be comfortable in, in trading Maxi if I got a sure-fired star back. Talk with Mike Begay from the Press of Atlantic City. Joining us here on the Sports Bass, Josh Hennig, filling in for Mike Gill here on 97.3 ESPN. Mike, you are at the Phillies game. The aforementioned Phillies are losing 5 nothing by where the bases are loaded uh, as uh, Hoffman is on the mound in mop-up duty. What is your take on the Phillies right now? Are they are they just a couple of pitchers away from being good? Are they just in the middle of a slump against the Diamondbacks? What what is your read on this team as of May twenty fourth? Shifty sinking right now. That's my read on on the Phillies. Uh, if they lose today, and it certainly appears they're headed in that direction, they're going to be twenty two and twenty seven. They were 22 and 29 when they fired Girardi this year. I don't think they've got a drastic move like that in them to sort of jumpstart the, uh, jumpstart the team this year. They're not hitting and their starting pitching is a mess. Ranger Suarez gave up five runs in five innings today and his ERA went down. That's how poorly he's pitched this season. They have no number five starter. Uh, they're in trouble and they begin a 10 game road trip tomorrow. That could make or break the season, a road trip that takes them to Atlanta, the Mets, and Washington. When they come back from that trip 10 years from that, 10 days from now, things are going to be okay or they're going to be in a whole lot of trouble and maybe too deep a hole to get out of. How deep is too deep? Because they almost have the same record this year as last year. We remember the Nationals a few years ago. They were horrible at the end of May and they won the World Series. So how deep of a hole is, is it a specific Win-loss for you, Mike? Is it a specific, you know, way that they're playing? Like, for you, how do you interpret when the hole is too deep? Yeah, the baseball season is a marathon, right? But you can't fall behind by, like, three miles and then decide you're going to start sprinting at mile 23 and catch the leaders. So they're in danger right now. If you look at it, they're closer to the last place in the wild card standings than they are to a wild card spot. And, you know, we keep mentioning teams that start slow. And, and catch fire. And, and you're correct. The Washington Nationals did that a few years ago. Have they done it since? No. The Philadelphia Phillies did it a couple of years, did it last year. You know, what's to say that, that they're going to do it again? I mean, it's very rarely that you see teams sort of struggle, start slow, and then catch fire. Teams aren't able to do that two, three, four years in a row. And I think to expect the Phillies to sort of do what they did last year, duplicate what they did last year, it's just unrealistic. They've got to start winning, and they've got to start winning soon. He's Mike McGarry for the Press of Atlantic City. Give him a follow on Twitter at AC Press McGarry. Check out all of his coverage of the Phillies and local high school sports at pressofac.com. Mike, I appreciate you jumping on. Now, the Phillies made a pitching change, so I'll let you uh, go and figure out why they brought in a left-hander in this situation. All right, Josh. I appreciate it. And Josh, where where is Gil? You and I are the foundation of the show. Let the listeners know that holidays do not stop us. We are here for the people, unlike Gil. So I will talk to you again on Friday because you and I care about the listeners, okay? Mike, take care of yourself, all right? See you later. Bye-bye. Oh, my goodness. Mike, yeah, for those who don't know, uh, Mike Gill went on a uh, a trip, him and his girlfriend, uh, 
his girlfriend's son is uh, doing very well in high school sports, and uh, they they went on a little trip with the team, so that's why he's not here today. Um, I want to squeeze in one message before we have to get to the break. We'll talk more baseball on the other side with Steve Buchanan from DraftKings. You catch him all the time on MLB Network. Lance chimed in on the DMs. Is it let's remember that Maury could have gotten a package from the Kings for Ben Simmons. Now essentially we gave up Simmons, Curry, and Drummond and some first round picks for nothing. We bring back Harden and trade Maxi. That, in my opinion, is a bad take. Maxi is only 22 years old. Listen, I don't agree with McGarry on that. Um, but McGarry, the thing with him is he, He's so steadfast. Like, he's planted his flag in the ground so intensely with that position about Maxi that unload the guy, get somebody else in here, win now, or you'll be lost forever. I don't agree with that. I think Maxi's a couple years away from being a perennial all-star player. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Josh Eddick filling in for Mike Gill on a hump day Wednesday here on 97.3 ESPN FM, the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank. And see how we'll get to where you guys thoughts and comments. Keep them coming on the text board, 609-403-0973. Your DMs in the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank Seattle. And don't forget, you leave your name, your information, and we have a chance to give you tickets to go see comedian Shane Gillis at Ocean Casino Resort in Atlantic City. It's coming to town next month, so keep the messages coming in. Uh, everyone's got an opinion on the Sixers head coaching situation. But right now, we'll get back to the baseball right now as the Phillies continue uh, to be losers down Five nothing here, and what is at the bottom of the six? Uh, Steve Buchanan is back for the 2023 year. We heard him throughout the year. Of course, you see him on MLB Network, DraftKings, MLB analyst joins me now on 97.3 ESPN. Steve, welcome back. How are you doing on this Wednesday afternoon? Yeah, Josh, it's been a long time, but uh, I'm definitely doing better than the Phillies' recent stretch <laughs> of games. That's for damn sure. What is your take on the Phillies right now? Because I I was just talking with somebody last hour, and they they feel like they're starting to dig themselves a hole. They can't get out of it. I, I just keep falling back to, I don't know if it's too deep they can't come out of because, well, frankly, how many teams start out hot in baseball and they, they fall apart? So, I mean, it, it's almost like you want the reverse to happen in baseball. Yeah, you know, there's nothing wrong with starting off a little slow and getting hot at the end, but um, that division that they're in, and we talked about this last year, it's not a division you can really afford to start having these prolonged slides, and that's kind of what the Phillies are in right now. They're, you know, they're three and seven over the last ten games. Uh, you know, likely going to stay that way if uh, today pans out as it is. But you got, you know, Atlanta's playing pretty well. Uh, the Mets are starting to play well at this point, and Miami's kind of just hanging around for, uh, you know, at this juncture as we head into the month of June. It's just been. I think we can all agree. Just the hitting has just been atrocious. I mean, the the the, the lack of clutch hits or just hitting from anybody overall is just really really bad. I mean, where would this team be without Bryce Harper at this point, right? Like, it's just been he's been a nice nice breath of fresh air since he's come back, but overall, like this team is just not getting the timely hitting at all. And then the rotation has had some question marks too as well. You know, like Wheeler hasn't been as efficient as we've seen in the past, and whatnot. Nola's looked great. Which is, you know, not something we could say a lot last year, but just overall, there's just, I feel like there's a lot more holes you can poke in this team than, you know, than not. 
Yeah, you're at the point where Cody Clemens is giving you more clutch hits than Trey Turner is, and that's a yeah. that's a problem in and of itself. And that's not the diss on Trey Turner, but let me ask you, Steve, because you watch the whole league. For us here, there was a perspective on Schwarber, Turner, Romuto all being in the World Baseball Classic, and it kind yeah. of felt like it like delayed their entry into the season. And like even Romuto sure. was saying, you know, hey, I wasn't used to the pitch clock, and I was getting worn out. By the end of games, I was trying to catch my breath. Is there a possibility that maybe part of the Phillies' problem right now is three of their most important hitters all got out of the gate later than everybody else? You know, I've heard this a lot for a lot of guys that have kind of started off slow. And to me, it's like we're so past that now, right? Like the World Baseball Classic was what, like the end of March, early April? We're almost in June at this point, right? Like there's there's going to be adaption periods for everybody. Everybody goes through spring training. Everybody goes, you know, the select players go through the World Baseball Classic. But it's like, to me, it's like we're so beyond that now that I feel like we can't even use that as an excuse anymore. If they had a poor month of April, sure, I, I, I can get down with that it, w- without a doubt. But you can't tell me that these guys are still trying to get acclimated with the day-to-day process of baseball when we're approaching June at this point. Like I can't, I can't say that that is a reasoning anymore. Turner has been the most extreme case, one of the most extreme cases though, because he was red hot during that world baseball classic. And now he's hitting like a mediocre, you know, bottom of the half lineup guy. And that's just not been his thing throughout his career. Like the power numbers are down only four home runs. I think he's had so far six stolen bases. Like that's pretty low for him too, as well. It's just really nothing is going his way at this point and his numbers like his advanced numbers are actually like even worse than his on his on the surface numbers so like that's that's concerning for me he's so talented though that like i without a doubt would believe that he will turn it around at some point but as it wears further and further into the season then it's like well this is getting a little concerning now for me when we're approaching june and you know trey turner is barely hitting over 250. The weird thing in this area is also, I don't know if you saw the Forbes sports story about how, you know, you know, baseball viewership and attendance is up across the board. But yeah. further down the article broke down, the Phillies had the largest turnaround in attendance from last year to this year. They're averaging almost 10,500 more fans per game than last year. Should they be concerned? Should all these fans showing up hoping this team is – because last year the conversation here was is nobody's going to the games. Now everyone's yeah. going to the games, and the team is kind of like, meh. Yeah, I, I mean, that's obviously a, a huge concern. And obviously what happened with the Phillies last year was very disappointing, but they were fighting the entire way. Like I remember all throughout the summer, you and I were talking about if they were even going to make the playoffs and all the scenarios that they have to do to get there and everything. So, you know, obviously coming off of last season, there was high hopes for this year because on paper, this is a great team. Like, no matter what, what the results are at this point, they have a very strong team. Like, that offense should be very prolific when you look at the numbers up, uh, uh, excuse me, the names from top to bottom. So, in all, obviously, baseball is seeing a, a, a huge uptick, and, and the pace of games has been amazing. Like, I went to a game a couple of weeks ago in Boston, saw Seattle, saw them play the Seattle Mariners. I was walking outside the stadium. Game was over. It was 10-10 at night. Like, that's incredible. I love that. I love that for the sport. So that is obviously bringing in a lot of new faces and new eyes and everything. But um, 
this the Phillies team at the end of the day is still going to be a competitive team. Like they're not going to be out of playoff contention in a couple months. I, I truly don't believe that. But um, I think it's good to see that there is a huge uptick for Philly because they got a damn good team that they're going out there. They're just not playing to their full potential. Talking with Steve Buchanan, DraftKings MLB analyst here on the Sports Pass. Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN FM, the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. Steve, you mentioned earlier about the Braves. So if the Braves are the number one team in the National League, let's let's just kind of put that presumption out there. Sure. Who's number two? It's very, very close right now because there's a lot of teams that are kind of lumped into that scenario. I honestly feel like the Dodgers could be that team right now because they've been playing extremely well. They got off to a little bit of a slow start. Um, they really didn't do anything this offseason, and yet here they are once again. They're 31-19. and 19. They have one of the best winning percentages in the league. But I also think, and this is very, this is not indicative of their record, the Cardinals are one of those teams. Yeah, they're 22 and 28. They got off to a horrific start. Literally one of the worst starts in franchise history. But now they're starting to pull that they were built to play for, and they have been absolutely plowing through their competition, and they got a very, very generous schedule coming up. They might be fourth in the division right now. Give it two weeks once that schedule completes. They're either in second or in first because they're only behind by five games. Not too long ago, they were behind uh, uh, nine games out of first place. They're making up ground quickly while the rest of that division is kind of just floating along right now. So their record doesn't show it, but I really do believe that St. Louis is one of the better teams in the National League, and now they're starting to play like it. I mean, they do have a plus 20 run differential despite being six games under 500. So, I mean, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's crazy that a team is that above in the runs and that below yep. in the record, but it kind of gives you an idea that when this team is rocking, they're rocking. I mean, right now, Aaron Otto, he's probably what an early MVP candidate at this point. Yep. No, without a doubt, too. And this is somebody who, in the beginning of the year, they were like, "Oh, we got to get rid of this guy. He stinks now." Like, it's like the 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 you gotta the love fans, right? The, you gotta love yeah, these yeah. fans. The changing of the winds happened very quickly there, but it was just you know, again, just some some guys just get off to really slow starts. He said that he did some work, like with his hands. Uh, he said he wasn't comfortable at the plate or whatever, and he was doing like this work with his hands. I don't know what the hell that means, but whatever it did, it 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 changed him. He's a new man. He's the he's the hot guy in St. Louis right now. But just just a note on that team too as well. If you go on MLB.com and you look at the uh, standings, they have this column that has an expected win loss record, and basically they base this record on runs allowed and runs scored, what their record should look like. They are 27 and 23 in expected win and loss, 22 and 28, you know, in the real world here. So going back to what you're saying about the, the run differential, you know, that team is a lot better than they are. So I, I think that's a big reason. But yeah, Arenado has been a big reason for that. And Goldsmith, your, your former uh, reigning MVP there. And then you put Contreras in the mix too as well in the heart of that lineup. Those are three tough outs to get into right at the top of the game. So I think they're going to be rolling and Arenado is just going to be right there with them. To bring it back to the NL East, because we do have a lot of Met fans who yeah. do are in this area who might be listening. I, I do want to ask you about the Mets because mm-hmm. they're a team that it was not looking good to start the year. Verlander, Scherzer, yeah. you know, Diaz, who knows if he's coming back this year, right? Like it felt like that team was 
like destined for a bad season. All of a sudden, they've scraped their way to a 25 and 24 record. Yep. What do you think of the Mets right now? Because there's still that part of me, Steve, that says, man, Verlander and Scherzer, they're getting older. Are they going to be able to sustain <clears throat> yeah. this? You know, Dave Robertson, he's having a great year on my fantasy baseball team. I know how good he is, but it's like, can he sustain it? Like this Mets team still gives me that little, little dark cloud hanging over them. I mean, honestly, I, that team is built with such like a fragile business model, it feels like, right? Like the, your top two guys in the rotation are on the wrong side of 30 at this point, right? And, you know, I'm around that same age range, so I can't, I'm not going to sit there and label them old because <laughs> I'm right there with them, but I'm not a professional athlete. I'm talking with you here on the radio, which right. is fine. I, I'm no, no problem with that. But it's a fragile business model because if you have those guys, they need some extra rest or they go down with injury. It's going to take them longer to come back. And when your rotation is really relying on those guys, you're kind of asking for trouble. And the third guy, uh, Senga from Japan, who knows how he was going to turn out. We didn't know how he was going to turn out coming to the uh, major league baseball from coming over from Japan. Some guys haven't made it. Daisuke Matsuzaka with the Red Sox years ago, never really transitioned to the Red Sox coming from Japan. Yep. So I was always curious how this team was going to work out because the offense is again, Great offense, but all of it was going to rely on that pitching. You know, it's been off to a rough start, whether it's injuries, unnecessary suspensions, whatever you want to call it. I just worry about them moving forward because when you get into the dog days of summer, what are these guys going to look like? So I'm a little iffy on them like you because a lot can go wrong very quickly with that team. But if they're healthy and those guys are playing to their potential, then, yeah, you have a stellar rotation. You have a you know stellar offense, but it's a lot of fragility there. Between the Braves, the Phillies, and the Mets, who do you expect to make the biggest boom move before the deadline? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, needs-wise, the Philly definitely need more than I think the Braves and the Mets at this point. Like, I don't even know what hole the Mets or the Braves really need to fill at this point, right? Like, barring a major injury. I don't know what either team really needs. I mean, I feel like the Mets probably could use some more depth, right? Like they they could use more like guys, you know, break glass just in case of emergency, right? Sure, but I mean, you could say that for any team. You can never have enough de- enough depth. I would say immediate needs. I think the Phillies need. I feel like we're having the same conversation from last year. The Phillies need an impact bat, right? You never really, um, you never really got that in the offseason like obviously Trey Turner you, you know we have Trey Turner and all that but you I don't know like I feel like there's another middle of the of the lineup guy that they could use to kind of protect some of the better guys that are up you know in the top of the lineup there so I think an impact bat is definitely a need for the Phillies I really don't have anything maybe a bullpen guy for the Mets I think could also help them as well in the later part of the game but I think the biggest need for, for out of those teams is Philly getting an impact bat Let's flip over to the American League because basically the entire American League East looks like they could potentially win the American League in the postseason. Oh, my God. Uh, I know. It's it's crazy that, like, the Central is probably, like, the worst division in baseball. And the American League East <laughs> is just, like, it's insane that a couple of these teams are not going to make the playoffs. I mean, for those who yeah. haven't been paying attention, every team in the American League East is above 500 by minimum three games. And yep. people know, like the average fan out there knows, Steve, about the Rays. But it's it's the Orioles. It's the Yankees. The Red Sox are hanging around. The Blue Jays, I mean, the Blue Jays feel like they're the most talented team that never gets you know, out of their own way. It's crazy. The funny thing is, too, and this is something I really just kind of stumbled upon in, in my head the other day, 
is that the American League Central and West might almost be playing in a playoffs format where you're either win the division or you're not going to make it. Yeah. Right? Like the olden days <laughs> without the wild card. Because all the wild card spots are going to belong to the American League East. Now that sounds insane because I just recently expanded the wild card teams, but like that's literally how it's panning out to look like right now. Because if you're not winning the division, you might not make it. AL Central is probably going to have one team come out of that total. And that's whoever wins that division. And then the AL West is going to be a tight race to the top, but I don't think any of those other teams are going to make it if the American League East keeps keeps playing how they do. The real sad part about all this is that Tampa is stealing the headlines from Baltimore because Baltimore is the story this season for me because I knew that team had a lot of talented young guys coming up. I did not think it was going to translate this fast. Like I thought maybe 2025, you're a real competitive team. They're two years early and, you know, in my roadmap, I guess you want to say, which doesn't exist, but that's in my head. I have a roadmap. Right, right. Um, but 31 and 17 coming into today, a 646 winning percentage, and they're only three games behind the Tampa Bay Rays. Do you remember the, ra- the run the Rays went in the month of April? Yep. And somehow Baltimore is still only three games back. That's remarkable. That's your story in Major League Baseball right now, but we're not talking about it because we're talking about the Rays or we're talking about how bad some of the other teams are, like in the AL Central where (laughs) Detroit is in second place and they're 21-25. and Baltimore is getting the short end of the stick here in the 2023 season, and it's it's a shame because they are a fun team. They're putting up good numbers, and you're not really getting – they're just not grabbing the headlines. I mean, I don't know who's more impressive for you with Baltimore. I mean, is, is it Tyler Wells? Is it, you know, Ryan Mountcastle? Like, I don't even know who you point to when the Orioles are so impressive because people, like, if you know baseball, you know who Adley Rushman is, right? Like, you know yeah. who some of these guys are. Philly fans probably looking at Kyle Gibson, like, why couldn't you do that for us last year? Um, but like, you know, the Orioles, like, I don't even know who you point to is like the, the breakout star because it feels like it's like the whole lineup is like breakout guys. You know what it is, though? I do attribute a lot of this to Adley Rutschman, and not because of his offensive promise, because of what he's doing with this pitching staff. That's what's most important, I think, because Baltimore, for years, has been a team that opposing offenses would almost, like, fix any of their slumps, or like, oh, we got the Orioles coming? They're, they're, they're what the Oakland Athletics are today, almost. It kind of feels like at this point, right? So what Rutschman has been doing for this pitching staff as a whole has just this massive trickle-down effect because this is why this team has a plus-40 run differential because the pitching has been good, and the offense, which has always been not bad, they feel like one of those sneaky offenses in years past where you know they could go out there, put up five runs, and you're like, oh, damn. But they're giving up nine runs in the same breath, so it's like, well, it doesn't matter. They're basically what the athletics are this year. So I think Adley being able to kind of really put a lockdown on this pitching staff has been the biggest difference. And I think that's a big reason why they're at 31 and 17, you know, on May 24th. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Felix Batista, you know, for, I mean, that guy's averaging two strikeouts an inning. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. Those who haven't seen him. Oh, he's, yeah, it's, it's, it's honestly, there's just so many names you can pluck out of there. And, and it's, it's remarkable what they're doing. Before I let you go, Steve, I wanted to ask you because uh, you are well known as a Mariners guy, so you watch that, yes. that AL West very closely. But I want to ask you about the team that's in the cellar out there. 
This situation with the A's <laughs> is the most re- – like I just finished re- reading the Ricky Henderson book, right? And, uh, you know, you're reading the book and you're like, oh, the A's of the 80s, the A's of the 90s. And it's like 20 years later, it's like complete opposite over mm-hmm. there. And it's like, oh, but that team might be moving to Vegas. And I was talking with somebody from Vegas last week and he told me, he's like, dude, he's like, if the A's move here, nobody will care. Like the only thing they're getting out of this is a new stadium. Yeah. And and the untimely death of the Tropicana is not warranted. I like the Tropicana. That's where they're looking to build the stadium. The Trop didn't need to die for this, for the Oakland <laughs> Athletics to come into town. Talk about unnecessary. But you know what? It's going to come down to, you know, maybe the residents of Vegas don't want the Oakland Athletics, and I believe that. doesn't matter. Vegas is a tourist cash cow. People are going to go to that just for the sake of going, and that's really what it comes down to. That's why Raiders games are so full or whatnot. Oakland is going to fill that stadium, you know, on a random Wednesday because it's in Las Vegas. The promos that they'll do – Free tickets they can give out, whatever. It's going to happen, and, you know, it's unfortunate that the Trop has to die for this. Oh, there's probably going to be some <clears throat> excessive casino comps for some of those people to go to those games. I, I know that for sure. Yes, yes, yes. Can I tell you right now, everyone I know who lives out there says the hottest team in that city, no matter what time of year it is, is the Golden Knights. Like, it's not, it's not even the oh, Raiders. Sure. Like, people love that Knights team. They, and apparently like, the environment in that T-Mobile arena is, like, insane. I mean, I'm not a hockey guy by any means, but I can 100% assure you that they are the hottest ticket in town. And I'm actually very disappointed in myself for not, for not, for leaving them out when I was talking about that. I knew there was another team. I'm not a hockey guy, so don't blame me. I didn't come on here to talk hockey, but uh, that is very true. You are 100% right. I knew there was another team. That's that's the lie to take away from our conversation today. Yep, baseball guy, not a hockey guy. <laughs> Steve Buchanan covers baseball for DraftKings. Check him out on Twitter at SBuchanan24. And, of course, you can catch him all over the digital sphere as well as on MLB Network as well. Steve, we'll have to make you a regular again as we progress through the season because – for basically, for people in this area, uh, everything else is done. It's baseball season now because yep. Sixers and Knicks, they're out of it. Hockey teams, they're out of it. You, know, you, I mean, you had the Devils, the Rangers, and the Islanders all in the playoffs, and they're all out. It's like, all right, nobody cares anymore. It's, it's baseball and then random football stories at this point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's going to be baseball only very soon here in Boston, unless the Celtics, you know, make it three more in a row. So uh, I totally understand what you're talking about. Yep. Steve, take care. So I appreciate you coming on. All right. No problem. Man. I'll talk to you later. Thanks. Josh Shinnick here, filling in for Mike Gill on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. I got a bunch of messages to get to coming up on the other side. 609-403-0973. That is the text board. Your DMs in the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. And everybody who texts in, you leave your name, you have a chance to win tickets to go see the comedian Shane Gillis at Ocean Casino Resort in Atlantic City. We'll get to your messages on the other side. Plus, coming up in less than 20 minutes from now, we'll talk more NBA with Keith Smith, NBA insider for Spotrack. And don't forget, Football on 4, Jeff Mosher is back at 4 o'clock. Thanks to the Inside the Birth Podcast, all on a hump day Wednesday. I am Josh Hennig, and this is 97.3 ESPN. Now, more Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. Josh, how are you for Mike Gill on a hump day Wednesday here on 97.3 ESPN? Just a little clarity, my, my guy, Doc Purcell, John Jones, I've actually known uh, 
people for a very long time. He says, what's going on with the trop? So, Steve Buchanan, I, I think he forgot he was speaking to an area that's beautiful. Um, so the Tropicana in Vegas might get demoed for the new A's baseball ballpark. That's what he was talking about because they're trying to put the, the ballpark as close to the strip as possible for, like, you know, different logistical reasons. So not the Atlantic City Tropicana. It's the Las Vegas Trop. But I do appreciate you texting in, my friend. Hope you're doing well. Uh, over on the text board, 609-403-09. So we got a bunch of messages coming in again. Uh, you leave your name and you give me your comment. You have a chance to win tickets to go see the comedian Shane Gillis at Ocean Casino Resort in Atlantic City. Uh, by the way, one anonymous texter said, uh, Brett Brown died for our sins. Give me back, Brett Brown. <laughs> I, I can't even take that serious. That's probably why he didn't put his name on it because it's such a, <laughs> it's a, it's a silly comment. It, look, Brett Brown, he served a purpose. He was the punching bag for an organization that didn't want to actually deal with the media half the time. So that's what he was here for. Uh, Chris in the Villas chimes in and says, Budenholzer's my pick because of his ability to build a team around a superior big man similar to how Spolstra built around Jimmy Butler. By the way, Chris in the Villas, what does community car guy mean? Does that mean like you're like a Lyft or Uber driver? Like are you – uh like you driving like a um, one of those like shuttle buses around? Like what? what, what I don't know exactly what community car guy means, but that's from Chris in the Villas. Um, I like Boonholzer in general. Okay, I do agree with you that he did a very good job of building around Giannis. He also elevated Giannis from what he was before he got him into a multiple MVP winner. My only concern with Boonholzer is he's now been in two organizations that he had basically issues with the front office. And if there's a disconnect between the people running the team on on upstairs and the guy who's running the team on the basketball court, you're not probably not going to have the most successful team long-term. But if you're looking for a short-term guy, Boonholzer is definitely the guy. Because Boonholzer, five years in Atlanta, five years in Milwaukee. Short you know, spurt of success and then gets run out of town in both situations. Uh, by the way, uh, Tom in the villa says that uh, too much newspaper ink is affecting Mike McGarry from the trade max. <laughs> Cole from LBI says if the Sixers trade max, he's probably going to turn into Jamal Murray for whoever you trade him to. Listen, I'm a big Maxi guy. I'm with you, Cole. I'm with you, Tom, and the Villas. This idea that trading Maxi is going to be an answer to anything, I think I'm out on that. Because guess what? You know who Maxi is? Maxi's the guy who's going to be here when Joel Embiid is no longer here. Five, six years down the road when Embiid is no longer the perennial MVP candidate, Maxi has to be the guy to step in. He's 22 years old. He's going to be in his prime in a few years. Don't don't let go of the future to sacrifice for no guarantee in the present. That's what I say about Maxi. Uh, Dan EHT chimes in. Josh, please save me from the Phillies. They are unwatchable. They don't have one player overachieving and maybe three that are playing to their potential. Um, it's officially Phillies bashing season with no Sixers, no Eagles news right now. And you get the idea. 
even the fanatic is probably underachieving this year. That's from DHD. Uh, by the way, the Phillies are losing five to three right now for what that's worth, even though the bases are loaded with two outs. Look, the problem with the Phillies is you heard Steve talk about it. We're getting to the point where using the excuse of the World Baseball Classic or slow start, we're, we're kind of passing that that line of demarcation between being patient and being impatient. And Danny is right. It is getting close to being Phillies bashing season. I'm not saying you should be bashing the Phillies. I think the Phillies are still a, a playoff team. I think they can still get out of this, but they're on the verge of losing three straight to a Diamondbacks team. Now, the Diamondbacks, they're 29 and 20. They're in second place in the National League West. So they're not a bad team. It's not like you're losing like the Oakland A's or something. But I do understand what the fans feel that they look at this team and they say, you get a trade turner all this money. Kyle Schwarber has a batting average under 200. You know, Ranger Suarez gave him five runs in this game today. You know, you're looking at this team. You're looking at Wheeler and his struggles. You're saying, what is wrong with these guys? Like, you, you showed us last year you're good. Now this year you come back down to earth. It's frustrating. Uh, another message coming in at 609-403-0973. Uh, this listener didn't leave their name. But I thought it was a very interesting comment by them. They say, my choice for the Sixers is Frank Vogel. He's a local guy. I'm a 36-year-old female, but I love the Eagles and Sixers first. I met Vogel in person several times. His basketball IQ is outstanding. He's a game changer. I know he's apparently not a considered a top candidate, but I still think he'd be a good pick. Well, first of all, uh, I love the... Uh, Little context and big story there. I miss, I wish you would have left your name. I could have named you on the radio here on 973 ESPN, but I think Frank Vogel actually is a, a higher tier candidate. He already got interviewed. You don't get interviewed for a job if you're not under serious consideration. I think the problem with Vogel is he has, he has two tiers going against him. The one tier with Vogel is that there's a perception that he has been scapegoated now in three different teams. When the Pacers couldn't beat LeBron James in the Miami Heat, he was scapegoated for that, which wasn't his fault at all. I mean, LeBron, he took LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, one of the best teams of the last 15 years, seven games, and they couldn't beat them with Paul George, Roy Hibbert, and Lance Stevenson. You tell me how good that team is. With any other coach. Oh, wait a minute. I saw that. Nate McMillan couldn't get the same success out of them. They got rid of Paul George. Pacers had to go through a rebuild. But Vogel got blamed for that. Then Vogel got blamed for the team being bad in Orlando, which he never had a good team. The roster was horrible. And then he got blamed for the front office making mistakes with the Lakers. And LeBron James never wanted him fired. So I think Vogel's first problem is he's been scapegoated in three situations. You know, is there a perception versus reality issue when it comes to him? And the second question I would have with Vogel is, does how does Frank feel about this team as currently constructed? Is he a guy in Vogel who says, I want Harden, I don't want Harden. I can maximize it and beat. Because one of Vogel's strengths is, in Indiana and with the Lakers, he got those teams to play Really good defense. Now, if Doc Rivers, when he was hired, said, I want number one defensive team in the league, he really didn't get that. Now, was that Doc or was it the roster? 
Vogel is a guy who has found ways to get a lot out of role players. So is he a guy that you want to hire and say, hey, you can get a lot out of these younger players, but then the question is, are they willing defenders? One more, Ryan in Egg Harbor says, I want Sam Cassell or Dawn Staley. Well, Dawn Staley is not a candidate for the job, Ryan. Uh, I appreciate the thought of Dawn. Um, I think she would definitely leave her job at South Carolina and coach the Sixers if she had the opportunity, but she's not a candidate. She was not one of the people they're interviewing. My only concern with Sam Cassell is he was reportedly the guy in Harden's, he, Harden's ear all year. He was supposedly the guy that Harden entrusted the most and worked with the most, but yet Harden completely fell apart in the final two games of that series. So was that Harden? Was that Cassell not getting through to him? How do you read that? That's my only concern with Sam Cassell's candidacy. We'll talk more about the NBA playoffs and Sixers head coaching search with Keith Smith, NBA insider for Spot Track next. I'm Josh Hennig, filling for Mike Gill on a hump day Wednesday on 97.3 ESPN. Now, back to on 97.3 ESPN. Somehow the Celtics are still alive in this series. The Nuggets are in the NBA Finals. And the Sixers are still in search of an NBA head coach. We'll get into all that more right now. Josh Hennig filling for Mike Gill on a Wednesday on 97.3 ESPN. Keith Smith covers the NBA. You can check out his work over with Spot Track. You can follow him at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. He joins us each Wednesday here on 97.3 ESPN. Keith, welcome back in. How you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I want to start with Nick Nurse because the, I saw the news come out earlier today that he is a finalist for the Suns job. So now he's a finalist for the, the Bucks job and the Suns job. And he interviewed the Sixers on Monday. We've been asking the question, should the Sixers move in on him to lock him up? Should they finish their process of interviewing candidates? What is your position on Nick Nurse and the Sixers? Yeah, I think if he is their guy, you probably want to move quick because he is uh, starting to become the common thread between all these jobs that are open. And that's, you know, that, that makes it, it tough because then you can get into a spot where hey, if you're first to move, it's not, it's not that it's not his decision anyway, but it's not that he's picking between you and somewhere else if he doesn't have the other offer yet. So if they want him, Move quick and try to get them wrapped up and, and get moved on so that way you can start building oh, your uh, roster plan for next season. When you think about the Sixers head coaching search, do you feel like this is going to be a long process? Like I was leaving, I was reading Jake Fisher's story and on Yahoo Sports, and he made it sound like the Bucks are trying to get this, uh, this locked in before anyone else does. You know, I feel like the Sixers are kind of taking the more methodical approach. Yeah, I think it's probably so. Every franchise treats it a little bit different. Some of them are, hey, we're going to build a roster, and then we're going to get a coach that you know we feel like fits with that roster. Or the coach will have to be a little more malleable. Then there's other. 
franchise, they were like, all right, we're going to get our coach, then we're going to build a roster that fits the way that coach wants to play. Uh, and then you have some that are, hey, I want to get this done so it's off my plate. I can move on and get ready for the draft and free agency. And others are a little bit more of, hey, this is a really important decision. we got to make sure, you know, above all that we get this right. So I don't know if there's any one-size-fits-all, but it does seem like, you know, the Bucks are maybe moving a little quickly. The Suns, it's not. Well, depending on who you listen to, you know, which reports you're going to run with, uh, some are, you know, they're down to four finalists. Others are they're down to five. And other reports are out there that, hey, they're not even close to done. They've added two more guys to the list. So I'm not quite sure where they're at. But, yeah, it's one of those things where if you, if, if you think that, you know, Nick Nurse is your guy, get this done because otherwise, you know, you may have Phoenix or Milwaukee kind of swoop in and snap him up because he seems like he's the top uh, prospect. Not prospect, I guess. I'm already thinking draft, but he's a <laughs> uh, top candidate on the market. So, is there a guy of the initial list that you know, as we progress, that you think would be the best for the Sixers? Because it feels like a lot of people in our audience, like for example, you know, you have a group of people who say they want Frank Vogel because he's a local guy. You have the people who say they want Bootenholzer because we did with Giannis, how we elevated him. You have the people who want Nurse because, well, he's Nick Nurse and he's popular. Like, is, is there a guy on the list that you like more than the rest? Yeah, I don't know that there's anybody I necessarily like more, but I definitely think the Sixers are in a spot where you got to go with a veteran coach. You, you need somebody who's really ready to win now. I think they all bring different things. I think Mike Budenholzer, you hire him, you're going to be in a spot where – you're, you feel like your floor is, is pretty well established, right? You're, you're going to make the playoffs. You're going to be a really good team. Uh, you know, the question is, can he get you over the hump and get you, you know, into the finals and maybe beyond? He did that once with Milwaukee, but fell short other years. And then, you know, Nurse, you kind of know what he can do. He's done a lot of different things. He can coach a lot of different roster styles. Because, of course, you're going to be built around Joel Embiid. But I think your other challenge with uh, you know Nick Nurse in the roster is you don't really know who else is going to be there, right? Because they could be going through a period of roster change and, and all those sorts of things. So that's something else you know that you have to factor in as well. I think Monty Williams could do a good job there. I, I definitely think Frank Vogel, who's built really good defenses around good defensive centers, you know, could be there and do a good job too. So I don't know that they can really go wrong with, with the choice out of you know the veteran coaches because I think they all bring a little something different to the table. How much do you believe in this? Or where there's smoke, there is fire with this James Harden stuff. Yeah, I believe in it a lot. I tend to think you know when we hear a story, in it, it was right around the holiday period, first time that came up of you know, hey, Houston thinks they have a chance at James Harden, and then it doesn't go away, and it only gets stronger and stronger o- over the you know months. I tend to believe in those quite a bit that you know, hey, there might really actually you know be something to this. So I think there is, you know, in this case with James Harden of, you know, we may see, you know, th- this has been something that's been locked in and kind of planned out for a while now, which, you know, that's just tends to be how it goes in the NBA, especially with these star level guys. But I, I do think that there is definitely something there. Someone suggested the other day that, you know, if Harden does go to Houston, maybe we need to investigate Houston the same way the Sixers got investigated. <laughs> what, what are your what are your thoughts on that situation? Like, is, is there potentially a, you know, 
a little side wheeling and dealing going on, you think, here? I mean, it's certainly possible. I think anytime you're talking max uh, players, which James Harden is still at that level, there's definitely going to be some conversations that are had, uh, let's say, before they're allowed to be had, right? Because you just need to have kind of an idea of, you know, where this is going. I mean, the challenge comes in proving all of it, right? And, and what level of conversation and who had those conversations? Was that ownership? Was that the front office with James Harden, with his reps? You know, how, how did we get to this point? I mean, the reality is we hear every you know time one of these super teams is formed, they generally tend to talk about, yeah, you know, we talked all about this, you know, when we spent time together at the Olympics or at the World Cup or, you know, at an all-star weekend or, or whatever it is. And that becomes, all right, you know, so where, where are we going with this? But I think, you know, in this case, it'd be very, very hard to prove unless, I will say this, unless it becomes, all right, James Harden comes and we have four other moves lined up and, you know, bing, bing, bing and rapid succession. These are all the things that are going down. Then I find it very hard to believe that that all came together in the span of, you know, a couple of hours is free agency open. I tend to think, all right, then there were definitely some conversations being had before. I'll use this as my opportunity to say, I think tampering is the dumbest thing that people get, you know, worked up about or gets really even enforced in the NBA. I don't like it when a guy's under a multi-year contract, you know, two, three guaranteed years and somebody's messing around with them, you know, in the middle of their deal. But if it's a pending free agent, my belief has been all along, let them start talking to people as soon as their season is over because I don't really care. It's, you know, you can't enter into anything official until, you know, we get to, you know, uh, July anyway. So just let people start talking to people who would remove a lot of this silliness that we go through every single year. Keith Smith K, catch him on Twitter at Keith Smith NBA and all of his work with Spot Track. Keith, last night we saw the Celtics Jekyll and Hyde, the good side, come out for at least a half and they went on to win the game. Was last night an omen of things to come or do you think it was just an opportunity that the Celtics got hot Gabe Vincent bent his ankle in half and that Miami will still win this series. Yeah, I still tend to think Miami's going to win the series, right? They need to win one game. Boston needs to win three. So, it, you know, it still, you know, very heavily favors the Heat to, to come out and win. That said, I think if, if we're going to ever see this in the NBA, and I'll go further, we will see someone come back from 03 at some point. It's just, you know, it's just math, right? We've seen 16 seeds beat one seeds in the NCAA tournament. We've seen uh, 03 comebacks in other sports before. So we will see this. I think it could be a team like this where, you know, Boston can defend. Miami is due for some shooting regression to the mean, and the Celtics are due to shoot it better than they've shot it in this series. So we could get some, you know, leveling off. I I, I don't expect it, though, by any means. I think Miami's going to win. I think Celtics have a great chance, though, to win game five, get the series back to Miami. And I'll tell you, if they win game five, all of a sudden, I mean, the pressure's already starting to build on Miami because once you go up 3-0, you're expected to win the series, right? And then every game you lose from there, it starts to get more and more tight on you. So if they, if they can force a game six, all of a sudden all that pressure's on the heat. We'll start to see, you know, can they, can they handle that or not? How much of this also is styles make fights? The idea that the Miami Heat are, are, are just a bad matchup for a team like Boston. Like, are, are we not factoring that in enough? 
or is it just as simple as Boston is what thirty eight and two when they shoot forty percent from three? Yeah, it's a little bit of both there. You know, my, Miami can play you know very good matchups against the Celtics. They they, they are very comfortable going to one big lineups with Bam Adebayo kind of anchoring everything and everybody else working off of him as far as the way they're uh, built both ways. They, they can stretch you out because of Bam's playmaking and screening ability out around the top of the key. Um, that, that you know really makes it difficult sometimes to kind of get their offense gummed up. And then, yeah, a lot of it is, you know, it's, you know, I hate to boil it down to, you know, basketball, it's the most simple premise of, you know, make or miss, but there is a lot of that. You know, the Celtics have shot fairly poorly. Now, some of that is Miami, but they've also generated some really great looks uh, throughout the course of this series that just weren't going down. And now those start falling. All of a sudden, the math starts to change, and we should be in a spot where this series looks a lot more competitive than it was going to look a couple days ago. Keith, before I let you go, I want to ask you real quick. Nuggets are in their first NBA Finals in franchise history. What can the Sixers organization learn from the Nuggets' success in building around Jokic? Yeah, it's important to get the right pieces around your star player, especially when that star player is a big man. Because, you know, we we all love, you know, the centers that can do a lot of stuff. And both Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid can do a lot of stuff. But they can't be the guys who are bringing the ball up to court every single play, setting everything. you got to get the right guys around them. You know, Philly has guys in place, but what Denver has done is everybody – that they have added to that team since kind of became, you know, Jokic's, you know, all right, this is it. This is our guy that we need to build this team around. Everybody they've added has been, you know, can they play with him? It's never just, oh, go get that guy because he's good. Go get this player. It's been, can they move off ball? Can they cover something defensively that Jokic can't do? Can, can they, you know, hit shots? You know, what does it look like? Every move they've made, you know, whether that be, you know, getting Aaron Gordon, getting Contavious Caldwell-Pope, uh, you know, taking the risk and drafting Michael Porter Jr. and having that pan out. And then their bench, you know, filling up their bench with, you know, Bruce Brown and Jeff Green and guys like that. Everything they've done has been around, yeah, we got to build this team around this guy. And that's where, you know, Philly, I think, has done that to an extent. But I think there's also still been a point of, hey, let's just collect some talent. Let's go get some guys. And I think it needs to be a little bit more of, does this guy fit with Joel Embiid if this is going to be where we go? That needs to be your primary question moving forward. And if the answer is that, yes, he fits perfectly with Joel Embiid, you probably want to look somewhere else. Give him a follow on Twitter at KeithSmithMBA. Check out all his work with Spot Track. And, of course, we catch him every Wednesday talk NBA here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Keith, catch you next week. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Josh Eddick filling in for Mike Gill here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Good stuff from Keith there. Great perspective on, you know, who, you know, what the Sixers need to do. Because I keep saying that, you know, you got to learn from other people for success at times. You got to be the team that says, what did somebody else do well? How can I replicate that? And I think the Sixers are in a position where you got to admit, that what you've done so far hasn't worked. So look at a team like Milwaukee with Giannis. Look at a team like Denver and Jokic and try to figure out, hey, what did they do right that we can replicate? Coming up on the other side, football and four. Jeff Mosher is back from the Inside the Birds podcast. We'll dig deep into the latest with the Eagles. 
this offseason. Josh Eddie filling for Mike Yoda. Hump Day Wednesday on 97.3 ESPN. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Jeff Mosier. My personality is I, I want to win badly. I want to win more Lombardis for Philadelphia and our fans. we got the greatest fans around, and I will do everything possible. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, this is Football at Four. Josh Eddick, Philly for Mike Gill on a hump day Wednesday here on 97.3 ESPN. Yes, the Phillies are still losing at the end of the eighth inning, 5-3. to three, But there is some Eagles news to touch on. I wasn't expecting any Eagles news to happen, but, you know, out of nowhere. Well, is anyone really surprised that an offensive lineman is in the Eagles news? We'll get to all that and more. Jeff Mosher. Of course, you catch him on the Inside the Birds podcast, InsideTheBirds.com, and follow him on Twitter at Jeff P. Mosher is the Twitter handle. Jeff, welcome back. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm good, my friend. You uh, enjoying the pinch hitting role today? Well, I'm certainly, I think, doing better than the Phillies are. So, Yeah, well, it doesn't take much. <laughs> uh, so the news came out for those who didn't see it. Ian Rapport confirmed a report this afternoon that the Eagles worked out DJ Fluker for a workout, a, a guy who was a former first-round pick. It, I mean, should we really be surprised, though, that the Eagles are working out offensive linemen at this point? No, never surprising. And something that Adam and I have talked about is when you when you look at what the Eagles have historically had going back, you know, just in general, a couple of years, but especially last year, um, is really good depth on their offensive line. Uh, and last year, maybe some of the best depth they've ever had. You have a first-round pick, Andre Dillard, as your left tackle, you had Jack Driscoll, who had started a lot of games as a swing uh, tackle guard. You had um, uh, Sua Opeta at one point. Um, i trying to think there's another guard whose name I'm, I'm not. Oh, Cam Jurgens was there in case Jason Kelsey was hurt, and we saw that he could play center in the preseason. So, um, yeah, I mean, losing Isaac Samalo, though, right, and then losing Dillard threatened – not only a starting spot, but depth, even though they did draft Tyler Steen. So uh, they do have Fred Johnson, who has played a little bit on their roster, competing to make the team. And they have um, Tyrese Robinson, who I believe has played a little bit, a couple made a couple of starts in the NFL, who is on the team. But, you know, they're always looking for good backup veteran depth who can step in there and hold the fort down if need be. And Fluker has been a guy who's played – a while in the NFL, and um, he's always seemingly had a, a ceiling. Uh, it's funny because I did a, a whole scouting project on DJ Fluker when I was doing the Scouting Academy um, run by Dan Hatman, and I watched a lot of the tape on DJ, and he's a really good athlete, and he's got, you know, good anchor skills. He was like really, you know, he was, he was a first-round pick. But the one thing that always stood out to me is that he blocks with his head down which um, is never good. And if you look, he's had a lot of concussions in his career. Um, so I don't know how much of that has changed since uh, he, he was last playing, but that was always one big obstacle. But again, you're talking about depth here and a guy that um, if he can still play and we'll see how the, the tryout went, certainly someone who's smart enough to, or you'd want to bring into camp and, and be there to compete. 
I mean, is that something where you a guy like Stoutland comes in and you turn to Stoutland and be like, hey, we know this guy has a bad tendency. Can you work it out of him? And Stoutland says yes. It's like, you know, come on down. Your next contestant, the price is right. Yeah, p- potentially. Um, I mean, some guys have fatal flaws, right, or, or flaws that just don't go away um, or just don't, no matter how good the coaching is, it won't. I, I would imagine that anybody who's watched DJ Fluker tape saw what I saw, right? I'm, I'm a nobody. I'm sure offensive line coaches saw it and tried to correct it and probably maybe at some points got him to do better, but it felt like something that was never going to go away. And then, of course, you had a lot of concussion uh, issues, I believe. So, you know, could Stoutland be the one, the uh, the offensive line whisperer? Sure. But there have been a couple of guys that Stoutland hasn't been able to help. I mean, he never got through to Womack, right. um, you know, who was his own protege from Alabama. So I, I don't know. But the point is that it's it makes a whole lot of sense to kick tires there. When we think about the offensive line, obviously we're talking about right guard for a lot of this. You know, I know that Jason Kelsey spoke very highly of Sayamalu the like a week ago, saying how intelligent he was and all this stuff. But, you know, realistically, you know, how concerned or not concerned should Eagle fans be about a position that frankly has the Eagles offensive line has been the strength of the last several years. And now there's this big question mark over right guard, because I don't, I don't think anyone can say with a certainty, right? That we know exactly who the best player is at this point. Right. We can't say that with certainty. Um, I think it only becomes a concern, Josh, if like we're going through camp in the preseason and you feel like whoever won the job won it because the other guys lost it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you're taking the the least of the few evils uh, or anything like that. Or if all three, none of them really stand out. So you're just kind of going with one or the other based on some kind of, you know, draft status or pedigree or something that has nothing to do with how well or that, or how not well they competed. That, that would be the, to me, the only time to be concerned. But I do think that there is something to be said about, the way the Eagles offense operates is Jason Kelsey makes a lot of the calls. It takes the pressure off the quarterback to have to do that. It lets Jalen Hurts play freely without too much in his head. And Jason Kelsey always had Isaac Sayamalu, right, especially in road games, silent count, to be his co-captain. So does Jason Kelsey losing his co-captain make it tougher for Jason Kelsey? And therefore, does that make it tougher on Jalen Hurts. So certainly that is something we'll have to watch as the summer and then the season progress. Jeff Mosher here on Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. And over at InsideTheBirds.com, speaking of Jalen Hurts, Jeff, you wrote about how DeAndre Hopkins did an interview. And, of course, in today's age, you got to pay attention to every little thing that these athletes say on whatever random digital show or podcast or Instagram stream, right? You know, I mean, yeah. so DeAndre Hopkins gave his list of the top five quarterbacks he wants throwing in the ball, and he had Jalen Hurts as number two. So should Eagle fans get excited, or was this just a guy on a podcast speaking his mind? Yeah, I'm going to go with B, although I do appreciate, as you just said, DeAndre Hopkins giving InsideTheBirds.com some fodder on what had been a slow news day. So uh, keep doing your thing, DeAndre, and all NFL athletes who are going on podcasts. Keep doing that. Um, But, yeah, I mean, obviously, Josh, it doesn't make 
a whole lot of sense for, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins is an outside perimeter receiver. He has been a complete master of the contested catch his entire life. So if you have DeAndre Hopkins on your team, he's playing on the outside. Well, the Eagles have two guys who were each, you know, who combined for about what, 2,600 yards last year receiving between AJ Brown and Devontae Smith. And both of them are outside receivers. Now those guys have the skill set and capability to move inside at times, but you don't want to turn any of them into a full-time slot receiver because that negates all the damage they can do down the field. And then on top of that, DeAndre Hopkins has a very large contract that calls for $19 million this coming year in base salary. So that's a pretty penny. <laughs> and I don't think the Eagles want to put any mo- too many more money or resources in to wide receiver considering they use first-round pick on Devontae, a first-round pick, and about 20-something million a year on A.J. Brown. And, you know, after next year, they're going to probably – they're going to have to look at Devontae Smith's contract and and probably give him his extension. He's going to be up there for that by the end of next year. So uh, it's a nice thought, but I just don't think – I think there are probably some other teams that can use DeAndre Hopkins a little bit more and have the the financial flexibility to make it happen. I think the thing that stands out to me more than anything is that, you know, I know a lot of Eagle fans are like, oh, DeAndre Hopkins. But it's like, if you look at them, Hopkins and A.J. Brown are almost the exact same size. And Brown is like, what, six years younger than Hopkins? So it's like, what would it really make sense to get a player who basically does and is the size and is the makeup of a guy you already have who you could argue at this point in his career may be a better player in Brown. Yeah, I mean they are different receivers, right? I mean I, I they they both do they're both contested catch type guys well. I think you you see a ton more explosion, uh, a lot more yards after the catch that you get in A.J. Brown, a lot more physical play, whereas DeAndre Hopkins, again, is, is going to be your sideline, your nine route. Your I mean, he can run more routes, but he's he's a little bit different despite the fact that they're of the same height. Um, but, yeah, to your point, you've got young, dynamic, all-pro caliber or Pro Bowl caliber weaponry there at a spot, at the X spot. You really don't need DeAndre Hopkins. The other flip side of the coin with Hopkins is what he said is, should we be reading more into the fact that all of these players around the league keep speaking as highly about Hertz who haven't even played with him? Like people, you know, people look at, you know, oh, AJ Brown's his best friend. Oh, he went, him and Devonta Smith, they were at Alabama together, right? Oh, you know, Sirianni's his coach. He wears the t-shirts everywhere. But like now we're getting these are, these are multiple guys who are saying, this guy Jalen Hurts is legit. He's a guy. He's a he's the man. Like, should we read more into that? That the league looks at this guy a certain way. It's certainly a positive, right? I mean, there are certainly, I think, quarterbacks in this league, both past and present, who have not really been the apple of wide receivers' eyes, right? I mean, there have been certain quarterbacks in this league that wide receivers who are good wanted to get away from. So (laughs) it's always great when you have a quarterback who's become so good and so respected and nationally known that, yeah, you got receivers who say, I want to go running backs or tight ends or whoever that say, I want to go play with that guy. Because in some cases – 
to make that happen, guys have to take pay cuts. Guys have to, you know, um, make sacrifices. You know, you saw guys doing that to go play with Tom Brady, right? I mean, Randy Moss talked about how his career in Oakland was he was going downhill. And if he had to stay in Oakland, maybe he never would have had the rejuvenation that he had when he went and played with Tom Brady. You know, so um, it's it's just sure it's quite possible that. And then, you know, obviously Jalen has to continue to play at this high level, but it's it's only a positive. It can't be a negative. Some non-direct Eagles news, but I wanted to ask you about it, was one of the conversations offseason has been about the Eagles punter situation. Like, who is going to be the punter? Like, I, Jeff, I saw run the people who keep asking me who the Eagles punter is going to be. Like, they're they're legitimately concerned. And I saw the news today that, Matt Ariza, who was recently cleared of all charges, is working out for the Jets. And the first thing that came to my mind is, why isn't he working out for the Eagles? You're telling me that he, he can't get into a punting competition with, I mean, whoever is going to be in camp at this point? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's you're making a valid point. I don't know that the Eagles did everything possible they could to try to bring in a true upgrade to compete against Aaron Sipos. They definitely like Tyler Zentner. They definitely believe he can push Sipos out the, out the door, and we'll have to see. You know, Zentner comes from Kansas State. It's a very good special teams school. It was under Bill Snyder. It continues to be under Chris Kleiman, I believe. Um, yes. This kid was a good punter and also a kicker, kickoff guy and kicker. So I mean, That's he's, correct, yep. Yeah, so he, he's pretty well-rounded. If you're going to try to find a kid from the college ranks to come challenge – Aaron Sipos, it sounds like this kid has the makings to be able to do it. But I agree with you. I mean, you know, maybe, again, the Eagles have more information than you and I do uh, about the legal issues surrounding uh, surrounding Matt Ariza. Maybe that there's something they saw there that still kind of made them reluctant, even though legally he's been cleared. Just because you're clear, like we've seen with the NFL in the Ezekiel Elliott situation, just because you're legally um, cleared doesn't mean you're going to be cleared by the NFL or that they don't think that you're guilty of something. So, um, you know, I don't know that that's really all about the Eagles, but in general, I would agree with you to say punting was an issue last year, it reared its head in the worst moment possible, the second half of the Super Bowl. And really the only thing they did to try to upgrade it or address it was pluck a kid out of college who's good, but who's never punted in the NFL before. Yeah. It just feels like such a, it feels like such an unnecessary gamble, I guess I would call it, because it's, you know, as you mentioned, it was such a glaring issue in the Super Bowl. And I felt like every week you and Adam talked about Brett Kern, about how, man, we were expecting a little more from this guy. Man, this guy's a, a former all pro and he's come out and played like, like, it was like an inside the birds podcast, like rinse and repeat conversation about Brett Kern. And then Sipos wasn't any better in the biggest game of the year. And it's like, we're going in the offseason. It's like, hey, we got a guy from Kansas State who nobody remembers <laughs> his name. Right, exactly. And it's always bad when you spend, uh, as you, and you know this as a sports talk radio host, if you spend more than, you know, five minutes talking about a punter <laughs> on a podcast, you're probably going down a bad, bad path. <laughs> but it is important. Like, there, there's no question about it. I will say that, it is a position that you can upgrade fairly easily throughout the year. Guys get caught. Guys are on the, I mean, they thought that they were doing that with Brett Kern clearly and it didn't work out, but just because that didn't work out doesn't mean it'll never work out. They'll, I'm sure there'll be opportunities, but we'll have to see how the competition between 
Zentner, Tyler Zentner goes with, with Aaron Sipos. I mean, if Aaron Sipos beats Tyler Zentner, there's something wrong with Zentner, I think, at this point. But that's a, that's a story for yeah. when we get to August. Uh, yes. A couple more for Jeff Mush here on Football on Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Uh, NFL rule changes. I want to get your take on a couple of these. Uh, obviously, there's the rule that people are saying it's the uh, 49ers cried so much that uh, they got the rule. By the way, the Phillies just tied the game. It's uh, 5-5 oh, wow, now nice. on the bottom of the nine. So maybe they won't lose this game. Uh, you know. By the way, you want to guess who hit the homer, by the way? Um, I'm gonna keep, Bryce Harper would be my guess. No, it's actually actually better news. It's Trey Turner. Oh, Trey Turner? That's even better. Yes, yes. you're right. After he awesome. had that horrible swing and a miss earlier in the game on a ball that was like Ugh. three feet off the plate, he just hit a bomb to uh, nice. left field. So uh, good news for the Phillies. Uh, Five five. Absolutely. Now yeah. they got to just score the extra run and finish this off, <laughs> which they probably yeah, won't. Craig Kimbrell has what? His four hundred save, three hundred save. He's he's got. I think it would be he's one away from that, right? Um, I think he's one away. I'll double check while we talk. But uh, I wanted to ask you about these rule changes because mm-hmm. you know I was talking with Rob Motti about this on Monday, and I was saying to him, and I want to ask you about this. You know, this three quarter, this three uh, quarterback role doesn't ding the inactive list. So, but it dings who's actually on the roster. So, like a team like the mm-hmm. Eagles, that you know they love to have like that tenth offensive lineman, or a team likes to have the extra cornerback, or a guy like Belichick loves to store random dudes on the roster, right? Like this is taking a roster spot away from somebody, even though it doesn't ding you on the inactive on game day. Um, how do you see it taking a roster spot away? Well, because you got to have him on the fifty-three. It can't be a guy oh, coming right. from can't be your, a practice I, I squad. What you're saying. I, well, I was saying I, I don't feel like that really does impact the Eagles as much because they've had three quarterbacks on the. Wasn't Ian Book on the actual fifty-three last he, year? He was, and then um, I remember they were hanging on to Nate Sudfeld for dear life a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, but it seems like this regime here likes to keep three quarterbacks on the active roster anyway, uh, unless. They just don't have a guy that they feel is worthy of development. In fact, if, if I'm not mistaken, we were wondering if they were going to have four because Carson Strong was with them and then they waived him, but they never actually brought him back. He was so bad, I guess. They never did bring him back <laughs> right. to the practice squad. So it's they were comfortable going with three on the 53. So, yeah, for other teams, that might be an issue that only like to keep two on the 53 and one on the practice squad. For the Eagles – not so much of a problem, at least the way they've operated lately. Right. It's just, it's interesting to me that the, like, I, I still don't understand why the league doesn't just let everybody be active on game. I think it's the dumbest thing in the world, but you know, no, I nobody, agree. nobody asked me my opinion. They gave Roger Goodell his, uh, his extension through 2027 and, you know, they said, Josh, go, go back to the radio. So, <laughs> well, you know, my thoughts on the whole rule change anyway. I mean, it's, I, I think it's silly. I think that. They changed the rules a long time ago to give you that extra spot um, and make it an active one, right? And then teams decided to go heavy elsewhere and not quarterback. That's their fault. They could have used that extra spot on the quarterback. And if you're down to your third quarterback in a playoff game or your emergency quarterback in a playoff game anyway, do you really think you're winning that game? No. I mean, do the Niners really think that they were going to win that game if they were able to bring – I don't know who the third – let's say it's Nate Sudfeld, right, even though he wasn't on team at that point. 
if it's Nate Sudfeld. Do they really, you think Nate Sudfeld's winning that game? I don't really think Nate Sudfeld's winning that game. So No, he's definitely not. The 49ers are just a bunch of sore losers, honestly. They they really have been um they have been the 49ers, no doubt. There's no doubt. I mean, about they it. they are the most anti fun team. Like if the 49ers really cared about the fans, they would just told Christian McCaffrey to play quarterback the entire second half and not worry about it. Like, you know, Philly fans remember watching Vince Velasquez play left field and we've seen Cody mm-hmm. Clemens pitch like three games this year. Like, come on, man. Let's have a little fun. Stop being so sour. I'm with you, my friend. Uh, before I let you go, the other rule I wanted to ask you about is um, this fair catch at the 25-yard line feels like it's the most blatant move by the NFL to get rid of kick and punt returns they possibly can get away with at this point. Yeah, and the funny thing is they didn't ex- they didn't exactly deny it. You know, I know there was a conference call with um, Rich McKay, the, conf- the the competition committee leader, and someone I think asked him, well, how much closer are you getting to just not having a kickoff? And his answer was sort of like, well, that's not our plan, but I can't say that it's not some <laughs> I, I can't say it's never going to happen either. Right. Uh, but I, I, I do think, though, this rule, Josh – is not going to impact that much. I mean, teams are still going to try to kick the ball out of the end zone. And if you don't kick the – I mean, this really only impacts if you're trying a short kick, right, and a guy catches the kickoff short of the 25. But usually if that's the case, they want they don't want to fair catch it because they want to take advantage of the short kick and run it back. So I can't imagine that we're going to see – you know, I've been wrong before, but I'm just trying to estimate how many kicks do you really kickoffs are really going to be f- fair catch. That probably not that many. Probably not, but it's just it just feels like it's just another like slap in the face or something that like like how many Eagle fans used to talk about like oh we got Darren Sproles he can run kicks and punts back you know what I mean now it right. feels like it's like a complete dimension of the game where it's being forgotten about and then the Eagle fan is just you know hoping that a um you know Fill in the blank guy and might make the roster for a reason that has nothing to do with kick and punt return. You know what I mean? Yeah. And listen, I mean, you know what? They might as well just scrap the kickoff altogether anyway and just get it over with if they're headed in that direction. I don't think people are going to be all that upset. The only people that are going to be upset are special teams coordinators. So uh, other than that, I don't think it's sort of much to do about nothing. I mean, I guess it would be maybe the NFL PA would be mad that it might take a roster spot away from somebody. I don't know. Well, I mean, there aren't the, I, how many people are we talking about? Because you still have to kick field goals, and usually that's your kickoff specialist Guy, is right. your field goal kicker. So it may we're talking about maybe what five or six people. I mean, the NFLPA can make that claim, but the NFL is going to literally tell you, well, that's like point oh oh three percent of our workforce that you're you're fighting for here. Well, I do want to give you credit, Jeff, that Jeff Kimbrell is in the game. The Craig prob- Kimbrell. Uh, Craig Kimbrell yeah. is in the game. But he You're Jeff Mosher. I was thinking about that. Uh, uh, yeah, he can't get a save, right? Because but he can't, right, he can't get a save because it's the 10th inning. So, <laughs> by the way, they also brought in GT Romuto in a double switch. So Wow. They really want to win this game. <laughs> so we'll see if they actually win it or not. Philly's in the bottom, top of the 10th. And already a leadoff double. Great. Well, no, no, remember, that's, that's <laughs> no. the, that's the man on second. Oh, row. you know what? I thought that was going away this year. I forgot that they do that. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it goes away in the postseason because, you know, sports. Yeah. I would like to see that done away with in total. <laughs> he is Jeff Mosher. Give him a follow on Twitter at Jeff B. Mosher. Check out all of his work over at the insidethebirds.com. And of course, the Inside the Birds podcast. Drops each week, different episodes with Adam Kaplan and more. 
Like, subscribe, download, share with your friends, five-star review, all the good stuff. Jeff, I won't talk to you again on radio until next week. Uh, well, because you're off the rest of the week, so. Uh, yeah. But I, you know, I hope you have a, a great Memorial Day weekend. If you do decide to travel to the shore, uh, I hope you hit me up for some suggestions, okay? I promise you I will. <laughs> Take care, <Yeah>. my friend. <laughs> Bye. Josh Henning, Philly for Mike Yell here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Yeah, for those, a uh, little inside joke. So um, we were having a conversation a few weeks ago, uh, me and Mike Gill about pizza. And Jeff Mosher and I started texting about pizza off the air. And Jeff gave his opinion with Gill on the air. And yeah, I told Jeff, look, Jeff, if you want to know where the good pizza is down here in South Jersey, I can help you out. I can point you in the direction of your personal. Because Jeff is a big brick oven pizza guy. And there's some amazing brick oven pizza places, especially in Cape May County. And I was telling Jeff, hey, Jeff, I, I can point you in the right direction. Don't, you know, you don't need to go to the the name brand or the the popular places of the boardwalk. You don't have the pizza that you want. I can I can point you in the right direction. So <laughs> I, I, I had to get it in there. It's like, hey, Jeff, you're coming to the shore. Let me know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll get back to you guys thoughts and comments on the text board on the other side 609-403-0973 don't forget everyone who texts in like Stephen Ventner and we have uh, Ryan in Egg Harbor if you leave your name you have a chance to win a pair of tickets to go see comedian Shane Gillis at Ocean Casino Resort of course don't forget text in your name and your thoughts 609-403-0973 Phillies Five five tie game top of the tenth. We'll let you know if they actually win this game or not. Coming up here on nine seven three ESPN FM and nine seven three ESPN mobile app. It's free. Thanks to First Bank of Seattle. Smash on ninety seven three ESPN. Josh Eddie Philly from Mike Gill on a Wednesday afternoon here on ninety seven three ESPN. You know this Phillies game is getting really out of control. Here. All right. So, you know, you have this rule about the pitch clock, right? And I, I'm a proponent of the pitch clock rule. So I'm I'm not the guy who's sitting here complaining about the pitch clock necessarily. But I'm just telling you guys, I just saw a situation where the pitch clock rule is dumb. Not the pitch clock itself, but the way they call the rule. So in in the Phillies game. Craig Kimbrell's pitching, okay? Craig, Krim, Craig Krimble, Craig Kimbrell, wow, easy for me to say. He's been around baseball a long time, right? But he's trying to pitch within the time on the clock. And he's trying to use the clock to speed up and slow down the hitters. And so far, he's been doing a pretty good job at it. Until Rojas came to the plate and... According to the, the letter of the law, right, as Kimbrell gets out of the inning unscathed, we go 5-5 to the bottom of the 10th inning. Kimbrell is set the pitch, and Rojas is, quote-unquote, not ready. Now, the rule is, there's two separate rules. There's a one rule that you got to be in the box and ready to go before eight seconds, or you get a strike against you. There's another part of the rule that says the pitcher can't pitch until the 
the hitter is set and ready to go. Kimbrell is basically looking at the clock and not as much at the hitter. So what he's saying is, I'm ready to go. I need to get this pitch off. I'm on a time. Rojas wasn't, quote-unquote, ready and set to go. So Kimbrell throws the pitch. And the umpire's like, whoa, well, you know, he wasn't ready. Kimbrell's mad because he says, well, the clock was about to hit eight. Why don't you punish him? So then the manager of the Diamondbacks comes out and is arguing about it, saying, hey, my guy wasn't ready. Like, he shouldn't be punished for not being ready. The umpires are like, look, we understand We're explaining to you why we are handling it this way. Well, when Rob Thompson finds out that Rojas is not getting dinged for the strike, Thompson comes out and he's like, look, he wasn't in the box. He's supposed to be set and ready to go in the box by a certain time. And while Thompson is arguing about this, (laughs) Kimbrell starts moseying from the mound to the plate to now argue with Rojas because Rojas and him are chirping and the umpires have to stop talking to Thompson, get in between the two players and basically escort Kimbrell back to the mound and escort Rojas back to the plate. And then ultimately he strikes him out anyway. So, (laughs) just absolutely insane. And this is why I said this is where the rule is problematic. It's not the pitch clock itself. It's the fact that this rule is able to be loosely interpreted by the umpire to say, well, he was in the box, but he wasn't set yet. Or, well, he had one foot in the box, but not both be in the box. Well, you know, we're only going to ding you if you're, completely out of the box and completely in the box. And oh my goodness, this inning is imploding on the on the Diamondbacks. So the Phillies had two runners on. And Cody Clemens comes to the plate to bunt the ball. And the Diamondbacks pitcher Ruiz literally just threw a wild pitch. It got past the catcher because Basically, he was trying to jam up Clemens to make him pop it out. But he threw it too far inside. The catcher wasn't ready for it. Now both runners advance a second and third. But back to the rule. This is where it drives you nuts about umpires, refs, officials. There can't be such a variable interpretation of a rule. It's like in the NBA. Like, does anybody really know anymore what the difference between a technical foul and a flagrant one, a flagrant two is? Nobody knows anymore. Like, it's so loosely interpreted. And then they get on, on the headset and go to the head guy in the caucus asking him what the, what the ruling is. And that guy doesn't even know what the rule is. You know, officiating in sports has turned into the, the equivalent of a, of a reality show where the people are playing roulette and hoping the ball the little ping pong ball lands on black or red. Like, it's just absolutely ridiculous. You know, I blame the umpire situation. They need to be really specific about how that position, how the situation is being handled. 
just what a ridiculous situation. Absolutely insane to me. All right, back to the text board, 609-403-0973. Again, if you text in your name, where you're from, with some comments on who the Sixers' next head coach should be, your thoughts on the Eagles, the Phillies, you get a chance to qualify to win tickets to go see comedian Shane Gillis at Oshie Casino Resort next month. Mike and Wildwood chimed in earlier in the show and said, my guide is Frank Vogel. He's a local favor. He's defensive-minded. He has a championship experience, and he knows how to handle superstars. Mike and Wildwood. Well, first of all, Mike, thank you for leaving your name. I always appreciate that. Love to know who's listening to the show and where you're from. I like Vogel. I'm at the position now where I think Vogel is the, the best option, right? I just get a feeling when I look at Vogel that he is the guy who makes the most sense. To, to me, it's it's him and Nick Nurse. They're my top two guys along with Monty Williams. Those are the three I like the most. I think your point about his experience dealing with superstars and winning a championship should be the, the two biggest tiers in his favor. The defensive mindset, I agree with. He's great at that. He made the Lakers into a legit defensive team. But that, that might be a problem for the Sixers because, you know, Doc Rivers, when he got hired, he said he wanted to make this the number one defensive team in the NBA. Well, by the end of his tenure, the Sixers were more around like 12th to 15th in the NBA. So is Daryl Morey on board with building a roster that plays the defense that Frank Vogel is going to ask the players to execute? Because realistically... Right now, the 76ers really only have three players who you can consider legit defenders. It's Joel Embiid is an elite rim protector. The Anthony Melton is one of the best, you know, perimeter defenders in the league. And P.J. Tucker is a, a great switchable asset on defense. Aside from those three guys, this roster is full of players who are either average to below average defenders in the in today's NBA. So if you hire a guy like Vogel, are you going to modify the roster to line up with the way he's going to call a defense? That's my only concern, Mike and Wildwood. Uh, by the way, Phillies win, walk off RBI for Alec Bohm. They loaded the bases. Boehm hit a sky blast to right field. It's just a shame he's only going to get one RBI out of it, basically, because that was an incredible hit that he made opposite way. Uh, he almost hit hit it out of the ballpark. It looked like it hit off like the, the front facing of the wall, basically. So, But uh, Phillies get off the losing snide, walk-off win for Alec Boehm and the Phillies. As they beat the Diamondbacks in 10 innings. Hey, listen, I got to give them credit. I was all doom and gloom for most of this game. And all of a sudden, they find a way to come come from behind down five runs. And how about Trey Turner? Trey Turner looked horrible earlier in the game with that swing and a miss on a pitch that was about a few feet off the plate. And then he hits a big two-run home run to tie the game and send it in the extras. So, you know, a great job by the Phils to fight back. You know, figure it, figure out a way 
to get it done. So Phillies win, bottom of the 10th, walk off by Alec Bohm. But uh, back to the text board, 609-403-0973. Um, Anonymous chimed in, didn't leave their name, but they said getting rid of Maxi would be a big mistake. They already did this big mistake by trading away Drew Holiday. Texter, I hear what you're saying, but I don't think it's an apples to apples comparison. And here's why. Drew Holiday, when the Sixers traded him, looked like a guy who had some specific limitations in what his potential would be. Because when you traded him, he was the same age as Tyrese Maxey now. So maybe that's where you're looking at saying, hey, Holiday was 22, turning 23, Maxey's 22, same thing. The difference, though, was that Holiday was an all-star player on a team where he probably was the best player on the team. So he was putting up stats that made him look greater than he was because when he was scoring almost 18 points a game, I think he had like eight assists a game that season, and he was putting up all those stats, he was doing it on a team where if he didn't put up those numbers, the team would not have success because you look at him later in his career in New Orleans, the next time he had a big scoring season, it was on a team where Anthony Davis didn't even play a majority of the season. And so he had to put up those numbers. So I think Holiday, his greatest strength is that he was a well-rounded player. I think Holiday, I agree, was a mistake of trading him because he was a guy who was a potential triple-double machine for a while in his career with the points and the assists and him being an underrated rebounder. The problem is, is that I think the difference between Holiday and Maxi is, I think Maxi is, is a is a more ideal fit for today's NBA in terms of his scoring. And I think that the reason why, for me, I'm against Maxi being moved, while Holiday was a high level defender and an underrated passer and distributor. And I think you've seen when the Bucks won the championship, he was a huge part of their success in, in winning that championship because of his ability to compliment Giannis. I think what makes Maxi so important not to trade away is even though he's not a, a really good defender, because Maxi's not a good defender. Maxi is an average to I mean, maybe his potential is to be an above average defender. And the other thing is Holiday is like six foot three, two hundred pounds. I mean, is Tyrese Maxi even around two hundred pounds? I think he might be like more like one eighty, honestly. You know, Maxi is a smaller player than Holiday. So Holiday, his defense is more based on athleticism and size and length. Whereas Maxi, if he becomes a better defender, it's because he learns how to use his lateral quickness better. You know, so I don't know if Maxi will ever be the defensive player or the assist man that Holiday is. I think Holiday is 
is the better point guard and the better defender than Maxi is. But what Maxi is better than Holiday in is that Maxi has the potential to be a guy who's going to average a lot of points a game. Like he's already averaging 20 points a game this past year on a team that had the guy that led the NBA in scoring in Joel Embiid and that had a guy who pounded the ball into the hardwood and almost didn't pass the ball for half the possessions like James Harden. And he still got 20 a game. I think Maxie's potential is to be a higher level scorer than Holiday. And the difference between Holiday and Maxie is Holiday was traded because the Sixers made the decision that they were going to do a hard reset on the roster. And that they didn't want anybody on the team good enough to keep them from getting a top draft pick. Maxie, you need him to be the future scorer because five, six years from now, when Joel Embiid can no longer be the leading scorer in the NBA and he's not going to be able to be the offensive juggernaut that he is today, you need Maxie to go out and score 25, 28, 30 points a game. And I think Maxie is more than capable of becoming that player. So he might not give you the defense that Holiday did. He might not be the well-rounded player that Holiday is. But I think that he's a more electric scorer. And I think that is part of the reason why he is much more needed to be kept. Um, Somebody texted in and says, will Nate McMillan get any interviews this offseason? Dude, let me tell you something about Nate McMillan. I I have such fatigue about Nate McMillan, okay? I feel like he's another one of these coaches that just kept getting jobs. And I don't even know if he's a bad coach or not, but I feel like he's run his course in the league. I mean, this is a guy who got his first coaching job because he was a former Seattle Supersonic. And... In Seattle, he was a good coach, but he wasn't a great coach. Then he got the Portland job, and I felt like he had that job for way too long, and they basically begrudgingly let him leave. He should have never got the Indiana job over Vogel. That was a desperate move by the Pacers to try to, you know, get them past the conference finals while ignoring the fact that the conference finals, the gatekeeper was LeBron James which is a huge part of the conversation, which was ignored in Indiana. And then he went to Atlanta, turned them around for basically one seat, one and a half seasons, and then lost the locker room altogether to the point where there are now rumors that Trey Young is even going to beat Atlanta anymore. So, yeah. Nate McMillan, I'm out on him ever getting a job ever again. All right, coming up, we'll wrap up the, uh, the, this hour of the sports bash here on 973 ESPN. And then coming up next hour, we'll get more of your text messages on the other side, 609-403-0973. Phillies win. Six looking for a head coach. Eagles worked out DJ Fluker. We'll get into all that and more still to come here on 973 ESPN FM and 973 ESPN Mobile App Powered by First Bank. See, and don't forget your chance to win tickets to go see comedian Shane Gillis at Ocean Casino Resort. Text in. Leave your name. We read your text. You're in the contest. You're in. Just like Steven Ventner. Just like 
um, Mike and Wildwood, just like Dan AC, you're all in for the contest. Final hour of the Sports Bash coming up next. Josh Henning filling in for Mike Gill on a hump day Wednesday on 97.3 ESPN. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Josh Henning filling in for Mike Gill on a hump day Wednesday here on 97.3 ESPN. FM, will be the 973 ESPN mobile app. It's free thanks to First Bank of Seattle. Phillies win today. They end the two-game losing streak. 6-5, bottom of the 10th. Walk-off win. Alec Boehm. The Alec Boehm gets the credit for the walk-off win. But Trey Turner's the key. There. Trey Turner's been struggling mightily. And he hit a blast the left field. To send that in game into extra innings. So, I think we got to, uh, I think we got to look at this a little differently. I think there's a strong possibility that this may have been the slump buster that was really needed all along. Also, we've been asking throughout the show, we have the Twitter poll up at 973 ESPN. I asked you guys in the 2 o'clock hour about Nick Nurse. Those who didn't see the news, the news came out that Nick Nurse is a finalist now for the Phoenix job and for the Milwaukee job. So I asked you guys the question, do the Sixers need to jump on us? Do they just need to hire the guy and get it over with? Or do they need to finish their, for lack of a better term, process in interviewing all the candidates? Well, so far, the poll results at 973 ESPN, 56% say hire nurse ASAP. 29% say interview all the candidates and 14% say forget about them. And to my question about the people who say forget about it, as I've been asking on the text board throughout the show at 609-403-0973, who would you hire instead of Nick Nurse? And we've gotten some interesting answers throughout the show. Don't forget everybody who texts in their name and their thoughts on whatever is on your mind. Uh, you get an opportunity to qualify to win tickets to go see Shane Gillis at Ocean Casino Atlantic City. Before Mike Gill left, he turned to me and said, hey, Josh, I got tickets. You can give them away this week to the listeners. We got extra tickets to go see Shane Gillis in Atlantic City. So, you know you won on Happy Hour Friday, last Friday. Well, we got some more to give away today, tomorrow, and Friday right here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. So, my question is, who do you hire if you don't hire Nick Nurse? And also, I would love to know... Why Nick Nurse? Why do we have to hire Nick Nurse? Because, again, you know, we heard the comment earlier today by Mike McGarry of the President of Atlantic City who said it doesn't matter who you hire. What matters is the roster, you know, building a better roster around Embiid and Harden. And then you heard Keith Smith, who covers the NBA full time, say, look, they're all really good candidates. You, you really can't go wrong with any of them. 
But here's my position on Nick Nurse. I said this in the 2 o'clock hour. I want to reiterate it again here. For those of you driving home from work, thank you for joining us on a hump day Wednesday here on 97.3 ESPN. Mike Gill has the day off. I look at Nick Nurse and I see two sides of a coin. I see a coach who did a really good job at putting Kawhi and the Raptors in a position to win a championship. That team really only got challenged by the Sixers that entire playoff run. I know some of you are saying, well, the Warriors were injured. Durant, Clay Thompson. Yeah, but before Durant, Clay Thompson got injured, the Raptors looked like a juggernaut because that was a Raptors team with Kawhi and Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam and Serge Ibaka. I mean, it looked like a, a just such a well-rounded team, and they were executing such a high level. And then when Kawhi left, he helped make Pascal Siakam grow from this um, th- this player who I think a lot of people took for granted into an all-star. You know, when Siakam was on the team that won the championship, he was he was a good player. But then when Kawhi left, he became a perennial all-star type player who averages around 22 to 24 points a game. You know, over the last several years, he averages almost eight rebounds a game. And defensively, he's really good because he's a very versatile, switchable defender. So you look at Siakam, you look at Van Vliet, you look at that team and you say, Nick Nurse knows how to take guys and help push them to the next level. The negative against Nick Nurse, I think, is the biggest problem for the Sixers, which is if Daryl Morey tries to run it back, is Nick Nurse's style of coaching going to work for this team? You know, Nick Nurse was criticized for playing his players too many minutes in Toronto, that he was so... You know, anti-load management, basically. That the reason why Siakam has never played in 72 games since the 2018-19 season is because he's leading the league in minutes played per game and his coach is basically running him into the ground. I mean, you look at just last year when the team was a 500 team. You look at their main guys. Siakam's averaging 37 minutes a game. Van Vliet's averaging 36 minutes a game. OG Awanobi is averaging 35 minutes a game. Scotty Barnes, 34. Gary Trent, 32. Once you get past the starting five, there's a huge drop-off in minutes. And so the question is, can Joel Embiid, and if you keep Harden, a guy like James Harden, can you play those guys that number of minutes consistently and their bodies not break down? I think that's the big question with Nurse. I think it is, is his style of coaching and the kind of rotation that he likes to run, is that doable in today's NBA? Can you play your starters that surplus of minutes a game and get a winning team out of it. 
And it's not just last year. He, he does this every year. Van Vliet the year before was averaging almost 38 minutes a game. Siakam also averaged about 38 minutes a game the year before. He plays his guys a lot of minutes. And he doesn't give the bench a lot of time on the court outside of the starting five. So is that a, is that a winning formula to play guys until they break down? Or do you need to give guys some rest? You could argue that LeBron James, you know, he might have ran out of steam a little bit in the postseason because he was playing so many minutes. I don't know. I, I don't know if Nick Nurse is the right style of coach for the Sixers in terms of that. The other stuff I love. Over on the text board is 609-403-0973. Matt and Kate May chimes in and says, Hire Monty Williams. Let Harden walk. Unload Harris's contract. Bring in the number two to go with Embiid. I would try to get Lillard. That's from Matt and Kate May. Well, Matt, there's a lot of things there. First of all, I like your idea of hiring Monty Williams. I think Monty Williams would be good for this organization. I think that he is the kind of coach who... Seems to typically have a good relationship with the players. Really the only guy he had a problem with in uh, Phoenix was Andre Ayton. I feel like Andre Ayton is just a malcontent at this point. Uh, Ayton seems like the guy who thinks he's better than he is. And he blames the coach uh, for him not being better, basically. So maybe DeAndre Ayton would like to hang out with some Sixer fans. But I think Monty Williams overall is a very good coach. And I think that him already playing in Philadelphia and coached as an assistant in Philadelphia, I think he knows the environment. He knows what he's walking into. And he's a leader of men who connected with Chris Paul and Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. That's a huge part of the job, is it not? A huge part of the job is being able to connect with the players. Now, if you want to have a demerit against him is he's been the one NBA Finals and he lost to Giannis in the Bucks. And before he got to Phoenix, he didn't really have a lot of success at all. You know, when he was in New Orleans, he had two playoff appearances and he couldn't get out of the first round, basically. So, you know, is Monty Williams the guy that was in New Orleans or is he the guy that was in Phoenix? Is he the guy who went to Phoenix and turned around a dumpster fire culture and turned them into a, a perennial contender in the postseason year after year? Or is he the guy that was in New Orleans, excuse me, who basically couldn't get the playoffs halftime? I tend to think he's more the Phoenix guy than the New Orleans guy because the New Orleans franchise was was a dumpster fire for a few years there. You know, his last year they went to the playoffs. Now they lost in the first round and it was a huge reason why he got fired. But he also lost to the Warriors. We're seeing now, hindsight being 2020, that you lost to the Warriors who went on to win a championship that year. So you lost to the best team in basketball and you, and you let the guy walk on a team that had a 21 year old Anthony Davis and a 24 year old Drew Holiday. It, I tend to think Monty Williams is a good coach. I, I like the suggestion there. Uh, from Matt and KB. He also says, let Harden walk. I do agree with you on that. Unload Harris's contract. I think it's very doable. You know, I have said before that I think, and I know that, uh, James sent the DM in about 
you know, trading Harris and Springer for Siakam. Um, I mean, that was my idea. I think it was last week I brought that up. So I'm, I'm totally on board with if you can trade Tobias and get a guy like Siakam, I'm totally on board with it. I think it's a doable trade because both players are on expiring contracts and making the same amount of money. So why not? Um, so I think Harris is a tradable asset. Matt and Kate May and James on the DMs on the 973 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. Um, try to get Lillard though. I think that is where the line of demarcation is, Matt and Kate May, because the problem with Lillard is that what does Portland want for him? It takes two to tango. You know, we could all sit here and say, I love to have this guy, I love to have that guy. Like you, you heard earlier in the show, you know, is it Dame Lillard? Is it Kyrie Irving? Is it Zach Levine? Is it Trey Young? Like, who is it? Who is the guy you can go out and acquire? Well, Lillard is the popular name right now. I think most Sixer fans would say, give me anybody but Harden. But I don't think Maury is going to go into the offseason with that mentality. You know, there are people who were trying to get rid of Ben Simmons for a bag of basketballs. It's just illogical. The problem with Portland is, is that if they trade Lillard, they're basically telling their fans we're hitting the reset button and they got to get a certain amount of return on investment for him. Same thing with Trey Young. Same thing with Zach Levine. What are you trading for these guys? I think that's the problem because Tobias Harris's contract matches all these guys, but his talent and his ability is a very huge gap. It's a huge drop off. So what can you trade to get Lillard, that's where the maxi conversation is. Are you willing to give up on a maxi to get a Trey Young, Dame Lillard, Zach Levine kind of player? I wouldn't do it because I think maxi will eventually be that kind of player. So you're giving up a player who could be that guy to try to win sooner than later. It, it just feels like a bad uh, plan. For me, at least. So, interesting thoughts by Matt and Kate May. Uh, Andrew Summers Point says Jay Wright would be the coach for the Sixers. Not a candidate. Um, you know, Larry Brown, and uh, I'm seeing another text from Jeff in Ocean City, says Jay Wright. The, the problem with Jay Wright is he's not a candidate. There's no reporting, no and no credible out information out there that, unless I miss something, that Jay Wright's a candidate for this job. So, you know, you guys can keep saying Jay Wright. I mean, even Larry Brown on well on John Clark's podcast said Jay Wright. Jay Wright's not a candidate. From everything I've heard and read, Jay Wright is very happy in his in his post Villanova life. He get he gets to basically do whatever he wants. He gets to, you know, he he gets to live his best life basically. You know, he gets to go and be an analyst during the NCAA tournament. He doesn't have to work all year long. He doesn't have to deal with the players all year. What, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the, uh, what the point of that would be. Jay Wright, he has no reason to coach Sixers except for if he wants the job, he could have it. So I'm moving on from Jay Wright. He's not even a candidate for the job. Um, anonymous text message says, move MB while he still has value. 
He's a good player for a city with no real championship aspirations. A player that draws some fans but can't play in the playoffs. That's from an anonymous texter. I'm sorry I didn't put your name on it. I would have loved to address this a little further than to say, unless you're getting a player as good if not better than Embiid, then no, don't trade him. First of all, you mentioned Orlando in the text, anonymous texter. Who in Orlando are you trading for Joel Embiid? Portland, do you think Dame Lillard at his age is an MVP caliber player? I mean, when was the last time Lillard was even in the the NBA MVP vote? I mean, I got to double check real quick, but I don't. Um, I mean, the last time he was all NBA, first team is 2017-18. He was all NBA third team this past year, all NBA second team the year before. The last time he had MVP shares was the 2021 season where he finished seventh in the voting. So, I mean, you could make an argument that Lillard is no longer in his peak. You really want to trade a guy like Lillard for Embiid? I don't think it's a good trade at all. Unless you're getting another MVP caliber player, then you can't trade Embiid. If you're if you're telling me that you are getting Devin Booker in in a trade for Embiid or I don't know, Luca. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of player you're talking about when you're trading for Embiid. I'm not trading him just because he has value. Look, my proposal is you go in to win a championship right here, right now. And after you, you know, make that chase, then you trade Embiid next year. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not trading him. Not right now. I, I, I want to give this team one more chance with Embiid, with a new coach, let Harding go. You know, it's the Iverson idea. You know, you, you play Jerry Stackhouse, Keith Van Horn, uh, Larry Hughes, Chris Weber, Glenn Robinson. You play all these guys with Allen Iverson. Give Embiid at least another guy to play with. You know, all he's ever had is Simmons, Butler, and Harden. He hasn't played. Give him at least one more guy. I don't know who that guy is. All right, coming up next, 973ESPN.com sports columnist Dave White, Dave Weinberg. He usually joins me on game night, which does not be heard this week because uh, I'm filling in for Mike Gill in the next couple of days. But, but Weinberg is joining me coming up next. We'll talk about the Phillies win. We'll talk about his thoughts on DJ Fluker as a addition for the Eagles offensive line depth. I know Dave is also a very adamant believer in Frank Vogel will be the Sixers head coach. All that more coming up next. Keep the text coming. I see you, Matt and Delroy. We'll get to your messages a little bit later this hour. 609-403-0973 for your chance to win tickets to go see Shane Gilgis, the comedian show in Ocean Casino Resort, Atlantic City. Now, Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Josh, how do you feel for Mike Gill here on 97.3 ESPN? Hanging out with you until 6 o'clock tonight. Don't forget, there's no game night tonight. It is uh, just the best of the sports bash in the next couple of days. I'll be filling in for Mike Gill. We'll be uh, checking in with Dave Weinberg for a Weinberg Wednesday in just a moment. 
I'll check in on your guys' messages. A ton of messages coming in over on the text board at 609-403-0973. You also can uh, DM the show through the 973 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. A lot of people uh, chiming in on the situation with the Sixers. Like Alvin and Wildwood says they should sign Kyrie to replace Harden. Alvin, I don't know uh, if you saw what Kyrie Irving said, um, but Kyrie Irving is um, basically went out of his way today to tell the world that don't believe what anyone says about me, and um, I'll let you know what I'm doing when I'm doing it. So read into that what you will. Um, I think the problem is is that Kyrie. I mean, does does Philadelphia really have the patience for a guy? And we'll ask Dave Weinberg this in just a moment. As a general principle, the Sixer fan says that they want to win a championship. But are you willing to win a championship if you acquire a guy who basically might not even show up for half the season but will be there for every postseason game giving his 110%? Well, that's Dave Weinberg. His thoughts on a Weinberg Wednesday here on 97.3 ESPN. Dave, welcome in. I saw you got some golf in today, so I'm sure you're doing good. I did, I did. Yep, I lucked out today. How are you, Josh? I'm doing good. Yeah, apparently the rain forecast has changed about five times in the last 48 hours. So <laughs> now, now yep. apparently it might rain tomorrow morning instead of Friday night. I don't know. I, I've given up at this point. <laughs> yeah, I just look out the window. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Dave, you know, you're someone who, who's covered sports in this area a long time. You, you're very well aware of how the Philadelphia sports fan thinks. Obviously, most people don't want Harden back under any circumstances. But if you replace him with a guy who is not going to give you the regular season production, but is going to give you the postseason deep run, do you think the Philly fan would put up with that? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I think you want uh, effort all the time, not just when you feel like it, not just when you know, the, the playoffs roll, you know, roll around, um, you know, and if you don't have them for half the season or whatever, the house, there's no guarantee that you're even going to get to where you want to go. So, and I would take a pass on, on Kyrie Irving, to be honest with you. It's just so weird with that guy, because that guy, every time he's in the postseason, he gives you incredible production. But, mm-hmm. so he's, he's the opposite of Harden. He doesn't give you the great regular season, but he gives you the postseason production consistently. And it's like, you know, some people are saying get rid of Harden at all costs, but I my question is replacing him is just as important. Like when you and I talked last week about Frank Vogel, we're not just saying hire Frank Vogel because he's from Wow, we're saying hire Frank Vogel because you know, look at his resume. Right, right. Yeah. Um I I'm not uh, I'm not so quick to give up on James Harden. I know he you know, he disappointed a lot of people, but I still think he's better than anything you've got to replace him with so far anyway. And yeah, and with regard to Frank Vogel, as we talked about last week, um, I saw a lot of people like, you know, coming down on him on Twitter today and I don't quite get, I don't get why. Um, he won a title, albeit it was in the bubble, but so what? It's still a title. 
it might, and I'd argue that it might be even more difficult to do it that way. I don't know. And um, got two. We as you said, you got the Pacers to the Eastern Conference Finals twice, uh, losing to LeBron. And more importantly, he knows how to deal with egos. He knows how to deal with superstars, having coached LeBron. So, you know, he's. I, I think he's a pretty good fit. And from being from the area as a bonus, I mean, he knows the culture. He knows the personality. He knows what it takes. He's not going to get phased by talk radio or fans booing him or what have you. I, I, I think he's a really good fit. I don't know why people are so down on him. I think people are down on him, Dave, because of the fact that I think that they look at Vogel and they don't appreciate what he did. Like you said, he lost a seven-game series to LeBron with the Pacers. You could argue the Pacers have been a nothing burger since Vogel left. And he was given a horrible team in Orlando, so of course he wasn't going to win. And then he goes to the Lakers, and guess what? He's gotten them further than anybody has since Phil Jackson, bubble or not. So I think that people don't appreciate what he has done because I think they've been given this narrative that he's, you know, quote-unquote, just a guy. Oh, I, like, why is that? I mean, what is it? what do they have against him? I don't quite understand it. Well, I think some people look at Vogel and say that he is the guy who coaches to the level of his talent. And I think the problem with that narrative is, at least for me, name me a coach who won with a bad team. Like, no coach has ever won with a bad roster. Right, right. I mean, you can only go as far as your talent's going to take you. That's, especially in basketball. I mean, that's just, uh, you know, you can't, you can't take a, a team of scrubs and get to the conference finals or, or to the finals. I mean, it just doesn't happen that way. Yeah, I mean, even the Miami Heat have Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. I mean, they're they're two high caliber right. players. Absolutely. Uh, Dave, I don't know if you got a chance to see it because you were golfing, but uh, the Phillies actually <laughs> won a game today. Woohoo! How about that? No, I missed that. Yeah, so um, I, I've been keeping people updated throughout the show. Those who are just might be just tuning in the five o'clock hour, Phillies were losing five nothing. I had already chalked it up as a loss, and I was, you know, asking everybody about you know doom and gloom, and then all of a sudden. Trey Turner hits a two-run bomb to left field. They go to extra innings, and then guess what? Alec Bohm, you know, hits the game-winning RBI, and the Phillies get off the losing snide. So, uh, are you excited that Trey Turner is actually hitting again? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, it's taking him a while, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, like as we've talked again, they talked about before the the World Baseball Classic. I think set him back a little bit. Uh, it took him a little while to get his uh, feet under him and get his bearings, but yeah, I mean, the the sooner he starts hitting, the better off they're going to be. That's for sure. I mean, that's why that's why they brought him in here, right? Well, I mean, at least I hope that's why they brought him in here. I hope they didn't just bring him in here because he's Bryce Harper's buddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think the question about the Phillies is, you know, how far down the hole? Can you allow a team to fall before they bounce back? Like, I feel like that's where the Philly fan and different people are saying, you know, how, how far along can they go before they can turn it around completely? Yeah, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, you can't afford to go too much further down, I don't think. Um, I granted there's a heck of a lot of baseball left to play. And everybody talks about, you know, it's just a marathon, not a sprint. But um, if you struggle in those first five miles of the marathon, you're not going to get to the finish line. So um, I 
I think they have the talent and the, and the ability to turn it around. They showed it last year, but um, I don't, I don't, there's something about this team. I just don't trust them. Uh, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, it just doesn't seem like the same vibe, the same chemistry that they had last year. I don't know why, but um, I, I'm just not sure they're going to be able to turn it around, Josh. So you're so you're already having doubts about the Phillies. Uh huh. Oh yeah. Yep. I am. How about you? I think it's still a little early. Uh, I'm not. I'm not mm-hmm. ready to, to sign off on it. In part because I, I don't think Dombrowski is going to sit on his hands and not make a move. Okay. All right. And I don't know what that what? move is. I, I I don't know. I right. mean, is it <laughs> is it pitching? Is it first base? I mean, Derek Hall got moved to the sixty day injured list. So I mean, you know. You eventually start playing Harper at first, and then go get somebody else to hit. I mean, I don't know what he. I mean, I'm at this point. I'm kind of leaning on the fact that I think they need another pitcher. I think that's where they got to focus on more so than the yeah. hitting. Yeah, I'm with you there too. Yeah, I think pitching is their uh, is their weak not weak spot, but um, not as strong as they're hitting at the moment. That's for sure. I mean, I know Philly fans are losing their mind because Kyle Gibson's now with the Baltimore Orioles. And he's pitching way better than he ever pitched here. So it's like, you know, you know how that goes, Dave. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you're always better when you leave. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, well, I mean, that, that was the complaint people were saying earlier today, you know, about, you know, should you trade Maxi? And everybody's chiming in being like, if you trade Maxi, he's going to be a, a superstar on another team. You know, we saw Scott mm-hmm. Rowland, he got traded to the Cardinals, and, you know, he has this incredible career. So it's like, you know, yep, you, yep. you know what what – what is the value of letting somebody walk? And then you look at the Phillies and you're like, you know, well, you got to get somebody, but who are you going to give up for him? Right, right. Yeah, that's the, the, that's the dilemma. That's for sure. Because, yeah, you're right. There's been a lot of guys who come here, struggle a little bit or not quite up, live up to the potential. And then they leave and finally do and wind up in there. You're, you're going to kicking yourself for letting them go. Uh, that's happened too many times, unfortunately. I mean, the the Phillies were very fortunate years ago when they made those trades for um, Roy Halladay and, and Cliff Lee that none of the guys they traded end up being anybody. Like, that almost never happens. That's true, yeah. You, usually, a lot of times, guys just need a fresh start and just like a, a, new, uh, a new atmosphere, a new culture. Um, sometimes getting out of Philadelphia kind of helps some guys. Some guys just aren't wired to play here, and uh, they go to some other, like, We've talked about in the past some other smaller market, a little less pressure, and they, they seem to thrive like that way. Dave, uh, the story came out recently that Phillies have the number one greatest growth in attendance from last year to this year compared to any other team in baseball. They're averaging over 10,000 more people per game so far this year. Uh, what does it say to you that they've, they've had the biggest jump in attendance from last year to this year? Well, since they got to the World Series last year. <laughs> sure, but I mean, the fans didn't show up last year until August and September, right? Right, because they really weren't worth watching until then. Well, also, and, that, see, I, I argue, if I can jump in, I argue that people were spending their money on coming to the shore instead of going to baseball games last summer. Okay, well, maybe uh, we'll see if that happens again, I guess, right? Memorial Day weekend coming up, we'll see if uh, people are, are flocking here. I, I, I hope they are, but yeah, it's... um. I'm surprised they're number one. Uh, I really am. I'll be interested to see if it still conti- if it continues throughout the summer, like you said, with the summer crowds coming down, you know, to, to Stone Harbor, Cape May, Wildwood, what have you. Uh, they're still going to be packing 
uh, the ballpark too. I mean, that's going to, I, if they start, if they keep struggling the way they are, I'm not so sure that's going to continue, but, um, you know, good credit to them. I mean, so far, so good, I guess. Dave, before I, yeah, right. Tennis wise, right. Uh, before I let you go, the reports came out that the Eagles have worked out DJ Fluker, the former first round pick who actually hasn't even played in the NFL since 2021. Is there anything more Eagles than working out a former first round pick who hasn't played in two years and now the Eagle fans get excited? Is there anything more Eagle fan than that? <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, they're all, they're willing to look at anybody they think can help the team. I think, yeah, uh, you know, they'll, they'll kick the tires on, on almost everyone just to, in the hopes that they can maybe somehow, you know, Sirianni can, can recapture that magic that the guy didn't have or, you know, they'll get, they'll, we'll just get them in the locker room with those guys and, you know, they'll, they'll show their true potential and they'll be a starter and they'll be in the Pro Bowl and we're going to go back to the Super Bowl. And yeah, that's, that's always the way. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because I know that the big criticism about Fluker was his technique. And I'm like, well, let, let Stoutland deal with him. Like, if, if the problem is his technique, let Stoutland figure it out. Yeah, he's the guru, right? He can fix anything, supposedly. He's like, the, you know, the, the, the master of uh, the offensive line. So maybe he can. I mean, I, w- I will say, though, that it didn't work with Chance Warmack. So, I mean, you know, it doesn't no, happen every time. No, did not. <laughs> I mean, that- I never saw it. First time I ever saw an offensive lineman sack his own quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Chance Warmack was definitely a failed experiment, to say the least. But uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I know a lot of Eagle fans, Dave, are worried about the right guard position. You know, I feel like the two things they get asked about with the Eagles all the time is, who's the right guard and who's the punter? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, if that's your worst concern, then I guess you're doing okay, though. I mean... You got to assume, I guess, uh, Jurgens gets the first chance with that. Um, if not, then who did they? They just drafted somebody. Who the heck was it? I'm already. Well, they drafted Steen from Alabama. He's projected to be a guard more than a tackle. So. All right. Well, then, yeah, plug him in. See, let, let him go to work then. I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a long ways away before training camp and that stuff. So uh, I think they have plenty of time to figure it out. Punter wise, I don't know who. I, I don't know why they keep bringing Sipos back. I, I think he stinks, but hopefully they'll find somebody. <laughs> yeah, well, they they um they, they're bringing in Zentmer from um Kansas State, and he's like a he's one of those guys who like kicks field goals and punted the ball kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. but to me, it's like, look, if you can't beat Sipos, then you you're just you're an idiot. You know, I mean, like a, the, you you got you can't tell me there's nobody better than Sipos at this point. Yeah, I mean, you would think even just like some punters who have been cut by other teams or something, there's got to be somebody out there that can uh, be a little more consistent than him, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Dave Weinberg, Weinberg Wednesday here on the Sports Bash, usually on game night here on 97.3 ESPN. Josh Hedding filling in for Mike Gill on a Wednesday. Dave, I will let you get back to the fresh air and the great outdoors, and we'll talk soon. Well, thanks, Josh. I appreciate you having me as always. I'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. Of course, Dave Weinberg. Weinberg Wednesdays each week on Game Night on 97.3 ESPN. Check out his extra point columns over at 97.3 ESPN.com. All right. We'll wrap up the hour with some more of your texts on the Sixers, the Phillies, the Eagles, and more here on 97.3 ESPN FM and 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. Now, back to Sports Bash with Mike Gill. 7-3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 
All right, wrapping up the show. Josh Hennig hanging out with you here on 97.3 ESPN, filling in for Miguel on a hump day Wednesday. I will be reaching out to the winners. I haven't drawn the name yet. The winners are for the comedian Shane Gillis. His show is coming to Ocean Casino Resort in Atlantic City. We gave away a pair of tickets last week for Happy Hour Friday. We got more tickets to give away this week. You know, for Mike Gill, lefty turned to me and said, hey, man, guess what? We got more Shane Gillis tickets. It's your job to give them away. We're all counting on you. So I said, I got you. People have texted in throughout the show. Their thoughts on different topics. It's 609-403-0973. By the way, Dan from EHT says, I'm back on board with the Phillies. The Kevin Long theory on hitting. He says, eventually the ball will find you. Just keep swinging. And the Phillies won. So I'm back on board, Dan EHT says. <laughs> uh, speaking of the Phillies, David Violin says, I took the Phillies preseason over 88 and a half wins. They had 87 last year. I think they could pull it off. Well, they could definitely pull it off. I mean, going from 87 to 89 wins is not insurmountable. I, I don't. Just because this team's not going to win 95 or 100 doesn't mean they can't win 89 or 90. I think that for right now, David and Violin, you're fine. I think the Phillies can definitely get there. I, I would say that you should be more concerned. <sighs> Like, if the over-under was, like, 85, then you should probably feel worse about it because what the oddsmakers are telling you is they're not a playoff team. 88-and-a-half wins in today's baseball is a playoff team because of the wild card. So I would argue that there's a strong possibility that the Phillies get 89-90 wins because they're going to make the playoffs because they probably get one of the wild cards. The Braves are going to win the division. So... I think David and Violin, you're you're okay with that for now. I think that also I told I've been saying the whole show, I've been saying it for weeks now, Dombrowski's gonna make a move for the deadline. And, and I don't think it's gonna be Syndergaard kind of move again. I think he's gonna make a little bigger move. I think this team is proving that their their starting pitching situation is a little more tenuous than they previously thought. It's kinda of like last year when they they grossly miscalculated about the defense. And then they went and got Brandon Marsh. Now the D team is much better defensively, but now the pitching is not as good. So now they got to get the pitching to make up for it. Uh, Kevin and Kate May chimes in and says, letting Harden walk will only save $8 million. hurts them more than paying him. Kevin and Kate May, I don't agree with that. I think that you're looking at it wrong. I'm not saying walk away from Harden to save money. I'm saying walk away from Harden because... I don't think you win a championship with Harden. If your goal is to get out of the second round of the postseason, then Harden's not your guy. That's what I'm saying. I'm not talking about the money. I'm talking about what the best team is going to put you in the best position to win. That's the difference, Kevin and Kate May. Do you want to win a championship or you just want to go to the second round every year? If you want to go to the second round every year, Harden is your guy. If you want to get out of the second round and get to the conference finals and beat an inconsistent team like the Celtics that are Jekyll and Hyde from night to night, then you probably should go a different direction. People keep bringing up, well, you know, Harden played great for two games. Because you didn't have Embiid for one of them and the other game, people like Tobias Harris were giving you nothing. If you have a better roster putting out there, maybe you have a better chance. I keep pointing to the Denver situation. 
Jokic never got to the NBA Finals until he had Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon and Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Bruce Brown. He has a really good supporting cast. Why can't we look at Embiid the same way? Why can't we treat Embiid and say, hey, Joel, we want you to be great. We want to win a championship. Let's give you a better team than James Harden and Shake Milton and George Niang. That's what I'm saying. And by the way, there's no guarantee that Harden doesn't sign and then you trade to a sign and trade with them. And then you can get whatever you want out of it. I think Harden is trying to maximize his money. I really do. Uh, Scott and Pittsgrove chimes in and says the Sixers need to grab Jalen Brown from the Celtics. Is that possible cap-wise? Oh, man, Scott, that's practically impossible unless the Celtics will take James Harden off your hands. If the Celtics are willing to take Harden and you could do a, a trade for those guys, a sign trade for both of them, I mean, maybe you can get away with it. The problem right now is that there, there's two tiers now to this salary cap, and it's very cost prohibitive for manipulating the cap as they used to in the past. You know, like when if you go back to when LeBron went to Miami, LeBron signed a team friendly deal, Dwayne Wade signed a team friendly deal, and Bosch signed a team friendly deal. And they all ended up in Miami through signing and trades. And they were able to manipulate the cap that way. Same thing with uh, um, LeBron when he went to the Cavs after Miami. You can't do that stuff as easily anymore. So I don't know if Jalen Brown's going to work cap-wise. And I don't know if Boston will ever trade with Philadelphia ever again. Danny Ainge took advantage of an idiot in Brian Colangelo. Manipulated him, took advantage of him. They're always going to take Tatum. They just got draft assets and Tatum. So I don't think that'll ever happen again. I'll be back on tomorrow filling for Mike Gill and the Sports Bash. Have a great night, everybody.